and welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael. Nice to meet you. First time listeners out there, thanks for finding this. We do hope you stick around. Do keep in mind, no matter what it is that you do choose to believe, we do admire you for your curiosity. Joining us this evening is the return of Dr. Paul Cottrell. You heard him here various times, and of course you heard him over on his very, very popular YouTube channel. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing us into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again, on a night like this. What's going on? The wait is over. Happy 4th of July to all of you out there. This is a time to celebrate, and I hope if you do celebrate, you do so in a very uh, safe and very responsible manner, especially with what's been going on all around. Tonight we jump right back into the downfall of America and the destruction of all mankind. You too will get the opportunity to call in and ask questions and uh, state your opinions on COVID-19. Has your opinion on the virus altered? Has it altered at all since the last time we talked? Your phone calls are welcome. A little later as we progress tonight. Now, without further ado, let's get down to brass tacks and uh, bring in Dr. Paul Cottrell and, of course, Mr. Mike Hideous, who is patiently waiting. What's going on, uh, Mike? Hello there, everyone, on this wonderful 4th of July evening. Good evening to you all. Very nice. And Dr. Paul Cottrell, welcome back. Hi, Mike and Mike. How you doing? I can't complain. Welcome back. It's, I, I like being on the show a lot. So we, I appreciate we love you, you here. Yes, we like having you here. It's always fun to have you on the program. Always fantastic uh, to have you here. I'm always glad to talk to you and Mike. And happy 4th of July to the both of you. Yeah, happy 4th of July. You got it. I know this isn't, this isn't exactly what we envisioned in terms of how we wanted to like celebrate. But regardless, I'm glad to be talking to you and everyone else, everyone else out there in the chat. I'm wearing my mask, and I'm social distancing from myself. Very good, Mike. As long as (laughs) you're you're playing it safe. Do you still have the bird? Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. three of them. (laughs) Three of them. have a mask? Uh, I'm working on that. (laughs) I'm keeping them separated, too. Uh, uh, One wingspan apart. Speaking of the bird, really quickly, are they okay uh, from the fireworks? Um, This is the first uh, Fourth of July I've had Kiki. She seems to be unaffected, but um, Sergeant is perfectly fine, and Yoda is fine, too. I, In fact, what I did downstairs is I closed the windows and the drapes so that they uh, they, they stay calm. Um, but upstairs here in my loft where I'm doing – you know, where I'm talking to you guys, You're right. I have to keep the window open because it's just hot, and I don't have AC. I, I, don't, I don't use AC. Understood. And, uh, Paul, I remember talking to you months back when things were just beginning to build up and things have gone just the way we expected them uh, to go. The world's a mess right now, and it seems like there's no end in sight. That's right. I mean, we were talking about that it was, that, you know, that there was going to be a big infection in the, in the United States. And that did happen. Um, we also said that there was going to be um, conflict with, with China. That is starting, we're starting to see that. 
Um, and we talked about um, uh, potential mutations and the, the bouncing of receptors. And, you know, we can go into a little bit of details, you know, later down the road here. But um, a lot of the things that we predicted early on, the very first show that I was on with you, um, actually happened. And I think that this is important for the audience right now that's listening live and the ones that will be listening, you know, in the near future, that uh, this there, it, there is a second wave. It is not coming. It is here. The data shows it. it the data from just the Johns Hopkins daily cases for the United States shows that there was an inflection point that I will, will call the beginning of the second wave, the second week of June. Right. And this has been one of the most horrendous and mind blowing and mind boggling experiences so far. And this isn't even close to being over. Not even close. I admit, I laughed each, each time I would hear people say, Oh, it'll be gone by summer. Oh, the sun will get rid of it. Don't worry. Well, you know, the thing is, is that even I kind of fell a little bit into that false sense of security. That's right. Because in, in New York, um, when we were starting to get out of shelter in place, now again, New York was the hardest hit, uh, in terms of deaths and in terms of total infected as of right now. Um, and we started to decline and I was thinking, you know what, maybe smashing the curve, shelter in place, uh, was, was, a, was the thing that would prevent a serious second wave. And, um, a few weeks ago I, I was saying, you know what, maybe, um, we can see a little bit of light or, you know, in the distance and that, you know, things will get better by the fall. When this new data that came out, um, from the new cases on Johns Hopkins database and these papers that are going to be published soon, they're in review right now, that are talking about the D614G mutation. It shows from a scientific point of view and from the epidemiological data, it's showing that the second wave is here. And as yeah. you know, as you know, um, you know, I've always tried to approach this problem from multiple vector points. You know, not just one data point. I, I try to take, you know, two, three, four data points to, you know, come, you know, come to, a con you know, a hypothesis or a conclusion. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Mike. Real quick question. Does that mean, considering that you're saying um, that the second wave is here, does that mean that the possibility of it coming back in the fall, autumn, is uh, less of a chance? Or are we looking at a third wave? I think that this thing will continue to climb. And what we would have said the second wave being in the fall is actually going to be in just an extension of what we're seeing right now. I don't think it's going to die down and then pop back up in the fall and have a third wave. I think this second wave is going to be more extended than the first wave. The reason why, and this is the key to the papers that are going to be published in Cell, is that the D614 is a location on the spike protein for a certain amino acid. The majority of the cases in the United States was the D version. That version was able to shed the S1 subunit, and that prevented making as many spike proteins for the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2. That means that it didn't stay in the body as long. And it also means that when the virus is packaged, it doesn't have as many spike proteins. So the more spike proteins you have, the more chance of it being able to attach to a receptor that it wants, like the ACE2. 
So this new mutation where it's switching an, an amino acid to a different amino acid, it doesn't shed as much. Therefore, it stays in the cytoplasm longer and it increases the, the number of spikes that are on the viral particle. Therefore, it is going to be in the body longer. It is, it is, it, 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 there's a longer duration because it doesn't have the shedding property that the old version had. So a lot of people would say, oh, you would get it. You may have some flu-like symptoms. The majority of the cases you know, were somewhat benign. And after 14 days with some medical treatment, you're, you know, you're okay. Well, that's not the case now because the, 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 the cytoplasmic dynamics are different now. Because it's, it's, it's mutated, it's, right? It's mutated, and right. it it's mutated. And the, see what happens is, is when when the viral RNA is in the cell, it starts to code for a certain protein. That pro many proteins, but one of the proteins is 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 the S protein, the spike protein. That's a one long protein, but it has to be cleaved by a furin. All right, it's a it's like an enzyme cleavage point. Okay, and when it cleaves, it has an S1 and an S2, an S1 subunit, S2 subunit. In the old version, the S1 would just get shed; it would get eaten up. Sometimes certain proteins can be eaten up in, in the in the cell. Okay, well, the new version it doesn't do that. It assembles the spike protein more; doesn't shed. That's the key feature. And my worry, and I that I told Michael on the I think of the second show that I was on. Yeah, a month ago. The, the, you know that this w- that I'm worried about a pinballing effect between other receptors like CD147, CD209, and CD299, and the potentiality of GRP78. Because when there is there is uh, infection or or um, or in a high inflammation, then you'll have a you you will have an upregulation of the GRP78. So, and that's a chaperone, that's a chaperone protein that helps with folding. So, so the point here is, is that the longer it is in the cell and the more spikes that you have, when it does get exocytosed out of the cell, it will go to other tissues within the body to spread. And the longer it is in the body and as it's doing this, it has a higher chance of gaining function to another receptor. And that is my worry that it's it's lost its shedding property and it's now in the body longer. Now there is no evidence that when it is outside the body that it is more virulent than the old mutation. But when it's in the body longer, there's a more chance of mutation. You follow me? Right. And of course we talked about this very early on about the virus mutating. And it has ever so slightly as time has progressed. And of course, this brings up difficulty in terms of creating a new uh, vaccine. That's why I always thought, uh, Paul, this is going to be quite difficult to sort of create this concoction with the virus mutating ever so slightly. Did you you hear about the news about Moderna? I think it was it was either Friday or Thursday where they announced that they had to delay the uh, the vaccine. Right. See, this is what was concerning early on. And we discussed this months ago. Yeah. Lord, we, we become almost prophets, Paul. Well, I mean, we should be on the actual panel that's running the country to, to help this, you know, to help the country out, you know, through this whole ordeal instead of, you know, the clowns that they have right now. Yeah, the plague, this uh, CCP virus that's been casted down upon us. This was no accident. My opinion on the virus has not changed at all. Right. You know, it, it's 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 interesting. And I'll do a video. 
uh, you know, and, and do other shows to explain it. But there is, we're now approaching the history of this. You know, we, it's not over, but there has been an evolution of the thinking. And it's not just the CCP virus. It's, it, it, there was a genesis of it at Fort Detrick. Um, and then it was, you know, spun off to the Wuhan facility. So there was a seminal paper that was a key data point during my early investigation when I first went on to your show. And that is a, that is a paper that uh, Dr. Xi is on and Dr. Pyong Zhao. And they, with a few others, are associated with North Carolina facility, um, research facility. And they were associated with Fort Detrick. Well, when the weapons program was shut down in, in 2014, 2015, it was shipped over to the Wuhan lab. And Fauci was involved in funding for additional coronavirus research. Right. At Wuhan, literally at the Wuhan facility. And Dr. Xi was involved in that. And she published many papers talking about gain of function. So, you know, so what exactly? What, wait, wait, what exactly are you saying? I'm having a little difficulty following okay, you. Here. All right. The United States. All right. All right in 2008, maybe even farther back, but at least in 2008, there, there was a there was a scientific investigation on on vir- on uh, the, the coronavirus, the bat SARS and or bat SARS like coronavirus and and coronavirus, SARS coronavirus. And they were trying to understand why there was this, um, why did it stay in the bat host? And what would happen if it jumped to a human ACE2 receptor? So it was working with the bat ACE2 receptor. So they literally gave the function to the virus in a lab to be able to infect ACE2, human ACE2 receptors. I have the paper on my website, and it's been there since Michael and I started talking. Yeah, think of it as just a pathway to getting screwed, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) So that there was so so basically, they were trying to investigate. I think I think at the very beginning, they were honestly, it was you know just the basic science of trying to understand the the relationship between coronavirus and and human ACE2 receptors. Right. But as it evolved. And that understanding became more and more, and different cell lines had different capabilities. It bifurcated into a weapons program, and that weapons program was at Fort Detrick, and that weapons program was shut down and then sent over to Wuhan lab. Is is has the media, the mainstream media at all touched on this this topic? There was a huge. There was a huge. Slightly, very slightly. Well, well, it depends on how you define mainstream. If you say Epoch News is mainstream, then Epoch News did a very, very good, I, I think it was an hour and a half documentary on exactly what I'm talking about. There, that and is it, a good a good news source. I know that for a fact. And they did a great documentary, but they spun it as the CCP virus. And right. they and that's didn't, what it is. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But the thing is, is that the genesis was actually at Fort Detrick. Right. But when it was when it was made at Fort Detrick, wasn't it? I mean, you know, you could say, was it study? Was it study? But study could end up becoming, as you say, uh, there's a very fine line between weaponizing it, weaponizing a bio, you know, a bioengineered virus 
that, that's had, what I'm getting to. Do, yeah, do you think it was? Do you think it was being studied, or was it being created for biological warfare at at, at Fort Detrick? Going all the way back to 2008, it could go far, you know, farther back, but going between 2008 to about 2012 or 13, I believe it was more scientific investigation. And but it, but as it progressed, it became more and more a weapons program. And that's why I say it's bifurcated. It bifurcated into a weapons program. So there was a scientific line, and then eventually there was a gain of function that ended up, you know, falling in the line in the hands of a weapons program. <sighs> and so they closed that down. They, they closed that down during Obama's in, administration. Yeah, he had shut and it down because there it, was some it, sort of issue with the handling of viruses out there. Big issue went down. A shitstorm of sorts. And right. Well, you know, early. there was a combination, I think, of two things. I think it was one, it was, you know, gain of function, uh, you know, gain of function of deadly vi- viruses. And they, sh- you know, we shouldn't be doing that, which is, I think, a true yeah. statement. And then the, the way they're testing it with primates also became an issue in the United States. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope yet again, because you do want to study these viruses to create some sort of a cure or, uh, God forbid vaccine, as that's such a dirty word here on this program. But, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that we have here, even with the mutation, there are worse things being worked on in these labs, uh, believe it or not. Well, I'm sure. That's the scary true. thing. I mean, say, you know, here's the thing is, is that I don't think that there's I don't think there's proper safety protocols, but it goes back to even and we mentioned this on maybe the first show, you know, it, it, it's Jurassic Park. You know, it's the chaos theory guy basically saying to the scientists, you know, you spend so much time trying to do it. You never ask the question, should you do it? Right. And, you know, these scientists are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Here, now, here. You know, and you know, they, there's, there's not enough safety protocols, obviously, because of the, the leak out of the, the P4 facility. But, you know, these scientists, I, I don't think, uh, really have enough education in terms of bioethics. Right. And of course, it's still very much here, by the way. It's, it's quite dangerous under the right circumstances. People say the death rate is low. And my only explanation for that would be just uh, one of my theories on this. Uh, Dr. Paul Cottrell and Mr. Mike Hideous. Uh, and I told both of you uh, on this, uh, this subject here in regards to this subject, I told you months ago that perhaps that well, the simple fact that the virus, we all read that it traveled in and out of China and the United States and Canada. This obviously means it was being worked on, uh, Mike and Paul. I'm led to believe that this was an incomplete virus and a unfinished experiment. Now, I could be completely wrong with that theory, or I could be close to a uh, truth. Uh, ultimately, I don't know. We, ultimately, yeah. ultimately, ultimately, the determination is to be uh, it, it's it's to be determined whether or not this was an attack per se, an unconventional warfare attack, if they indeed released it intentionally or unintentionally. It's 50-50. That's 50-50 that's right. at this point right now. Yeah, that, that's right. It's 50-50. And I got I, I kind of in I, I mean, I kind of I'm with Paul on this because I think they shouldn't have been doing, uh, you know, they shouldn't have been doing something like this and, and and Paul you made a great comment on how it these the connection between like Jurassic Park <laughs> it it makes perfect sense it really does because yeah you got the scientists saying you know do you know what you're doing here because 
you know, maybe the dinosaurs died out because they were supposed to, and maybe we're not supposed to be making viruses that we can't control because they're not invented by nature, and thus we don't have uh, antibodies for them. Antiviruses, I should say. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I agree with Paul on this because – well, I usually always agree with Paul on this. He just scares the hell out of me all the time. <laughs> Every time he comes on the show, he makes me have nightmares at night. But, uh, yeah, he, you're, you make perfect sense with this and I, I felt the same way from the beginning. It, this never should have been – never should have happened. It never should have been worked on. Well, the codes of ethics are not in our control, unfortunately. That's right. Sadly, but yes. Uh, by the way, Paul, we talked about this um, the, the very first time when we first got started. It must have been uh, four four or five months ago now. Yeah, I think that's yeah. when. It, yeah, I mean, it's 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 almost like I don't know if you believe in the whole Akashi record thing, but you know, I just it, it's. I'll tell you, when I started this, I just I felt an urge to just try to help, and I and I just and it just everything started clicking. You know, just one piece of the puzzle just, you know, it just starts snapping together. And I just, I had this visceral feel to just react and not sit by. And here's, you know, this is a call to the professionals out there that eventually will hear this, this conversation. Um, or maybe they're listening right now. I don't know. You'd be surprised, but, you know, uh, doc. But, you know, there, there's other you know, doctors you, that you, definitely have uh, tuned in, by the way, they don't want to be on the show, but they know all about you, uh, Paul. That's pretty funny. Yeah, well, you know, you know, either good or bad. I don't know. You know, I've had a lot of people. Honestly, I've had a lot of people that reached out behind the scenes. Have been giving, you know, giving me very, very good. Oh um, yeah. You know, good information about right. the science behind this, either at the PhD level or even at the clinical, at the MD level. So I have a unique perspective that a lot of other quote professionals don't have. All right. Now. Um, with that said, the ones that are, you know, the, the, the professionals that are listening now or later on, um, you know, you, it, we all have to work together. But when you're in a crisis like this, we are trained as PhDs to collect data and, you know, to, to have, uh, you know, power in our statistical analysis. But when you're in a crisis, you don't have that luxury. And sometimes you, this is why I call the fog of war. When you're in the fog of war, you have to take the best information you have and make a decision and not wait and collect some more data. So you, there is a lot of, let's say, epidemiologists out there or even non-epidemiologists that, you know, that, are, that have been talking about waves of, of, of this virus. They were, they were saying in, in March, um, early March, that it, we're not in a first wave. You know, while well, we called it back in early February when I was on your show, right. we were we were in a first wave. So that's my point is, is that the, some of these professionals, quote professionals, you know, they 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 sometimes react too slow to a very fast moving situation. A, a crisis is a fast moving situation. And this is why I call them the historians. The historians are the ones that will dot the I's and cross the T's and, you know, a look at everything, but it's, it's after the fact. It's not while we're trying to solve the problem. And unfortunately, we don't have enough people at the MD level or at the PhD level that is approaching the problem like I'm approaching it, where you have to view it in a fog of war and take the data the best that you can and try to apply it to save lives and to reduce infection. Um, case in point, I begged, begged, begged in early February to use protease inhibitors, begged. 
And these doctors are very few of them are using protease inhibitors. But yet the early data coming out of China was saying that if you use the HIV protease inhibitors, that it slows it down. And when you slow it down, you allow it to shed, you reduce the chances of mutation. But we didn't do that. And what do we have? We have now a mutation. Yes. And by the way, Paul. The thing is, is the reason why those protease inhibitors work is is that the the 3CL protease is conserved in beta coronaviruses. So that's why that was the mechanism why it would work. So there was there was science to it. And I, you know, and it's 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 a shame. But now, you know, because some of behind the scenes, I hear grand rounds of of, of doctors actually treating COVID-19 patients. And they are moving towards uh, anti-inflammatories for IL-6. Yeah. You and I talked about, you know, you got to use anti-inflammatory. I said protease inhibitors and anti-inflammatories from day one. And that was the first and second week of February. I said that. Now we are in July and we still have a bunch of professionals that are, are, you know, still guessing on what to do. Yeah, it's quite ridiculous. You know, it's yeah. So that's what I'm saying is where are the professionals to step up to the plate and actually take some risks and start listening to some of the data points that were early on instead of waiting and waiting and waiting, allowing it for it to gain function. Because once it starts to pinball with those receptors, it gets into the 209 and 299. It's a totally different game because the doctors on the grand round said this. This is starting to become a an immune problem. And early right. on, it was pulmonary. This is an immune disease. And what did I say before? You know what? It's starting to sound like AIDS. That's right. We were calling this an HIV-like flu, and people right. were very right. angry. And, Paul, it's been an uphill battle talking to people off air about COVID-19 and why it hasn't exactly gone away or why I'm still alive in this month when I should be dead. Well, it really depends where you are and your location. But again, I took a lot of heat for my stance on COVID-19 and still continue to do so. You know, again, I called the uh, CCP virus an HIV-like flu uh, for the fact that it remains in your system, causing uh, pulmonary illness down the road like you were just mentioning right now. Yeah, think of the first responders to 9-11, Paul. Those who went out uh, to ground zero first, many of them suffered from respiratory illnesses and later died. What I have noticed... I, I've been taking heat too. I mean, I've been, I know you have. Yeah, I, I've taken heat from an organization that is, you know, over oh, four hundred yeah. years old. It's called Harvard <laughs> University, right? You know, but but you know, but uh, just that, just so everyone you know understands that I am not a professor at Harvard. I don't work at Harvard. I'm not a you know I'm not an employee of Harvard, and all of my statements are mine alone and not a reflection of Harvard University. Even though I am a master candidate in biology at Harvard. I thought, with that a, said, I thought you were a witch doctor. Well, that too. But you, know, <laughs> you know, but you know, but you know, the thing is is that uh, you know, where are the quote the professionals? Because they're failing miserably. Now what my observation is with the grand rounds is, is that there's like two camps in terms of the MDs treating this. There are the ones that are young and there are the ones that are older. And I find that the ones that are older are basically saying this this is so new we really don't know anything about it. And there is some cases, not a lot, but some cases that are that are relapsing. Those relapses are using the plasma antibodies. All right. So so 
you know, you can take blood from someone that has been infected and they have antibodies. You can give that blood to another individual and that's infected and hopefully it slows the, that infection down. In those cases, after about 14 days, they do get better. But there, there is a cohort of patients that are in their 60s that are in New York that are relapsing when they have been treated with the antibodies. So antibody treatment, it's not, you know, a silver bullet either. Hydroxychloroquine, the older um, doctors are saying, if given early, there was good evidence showing that it was helpful as long as you didn't have a arrhythmic issues because of the QT prolong, prolonging wave for your heart. So if you had heart problems, you shouldn't be on hydroxychloroquine, right? But for ones that could manage it, it was early on in the disease, there was some data that was showing that it was helpful. The ones that are younger, you know, are just following the CDC guidelines that, that's no longer, you know, they don't have the wisdom like some of the older MDs have that one, the older ones are saying, we really don't know because it's so new. And, you know, two, uh, you know, there's some of these things that normally work for other viruses aren't working, you know, and we, we're still trying to work it through. So it's, it's a problem. And I just hope that all of the professionals out there, some of them are trying their best and they're, you know, their, their hands are tied because of politics or, or, um, administration issues with the hospitals or whatever, you know, but all of the professionals out there at the MD level and at the PhD level, we all have to work together and stop the infighting because infighting is wasting time because people are going to get infected and there are going to be people that are going to die. And we are approaching a hundred, was it 130, almost 130,000 individuals in the United States on the 4th of July have died from COVID-19. That's mind blowing. You know, and so the infighting needs to stop. And, you know, we all need to band together, you know, to try to, to solve this problem. Oh, it's that's saying, not going to happen. You know that's not going to happen. Uh, just, you know, but more people will get, you know, more people will get sick because we need brain power. It's a total, it, not I, one person I agree is going to be you. able to solve this. I agree with you. I'm simply stating the fact that the world is in such a divided state right I'm sorry, the country is in such a divided state right now. I sincerely believe that. They're they're just if if you're on the left or the right and you're trying to work about you know work with other people trying to get an idea on how to fix this this virus. I sincerely believe that there there's going to be a you know this this dividing of of minds simply because of politics. That's the problem, though, Mike. That that right there, politics. This is not a political issue. That's what is kind of I agree. Kind of silly that. Uh, wearing a mask is a political stance now. Right, right. Yeah, that's kind of retarded. Think, think about it. Not, not to interject here, but, but I got to bring this up. You know, what was it last month when they, or at the beginning of uh, June, when people started rioting and they were showing up in 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 these giant protests without masks, not social distancing, distancing, and I mean, then then you have. Donald Trump, who tries to do a rally, I think in Montana or wherever it was, and uh, he says rally, and everybody comes down on him because they're saying, "Well, you, sh- you shouldn't do it because it's gonna, it's gonna make more cases of the virus." Yet nobody said anything to these pre- protesters. Nobody, nobody bitched about them, and they, you know, in fact, it was actually encouraged by, by, by. I think, I think it was the uh, the New York governor. And now people are getting sick. Right. So are you going to listen to people that are going to get you sick or, you know, 
oh, listen, bro, you know, <laughs> I'm going to listen to the people who, who, who like Paul, who, who scare me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, see, see, it's, it's, it's not so black and white on this issue. You know, I, it, it, it's, it's so multifaceted. Like, you know, what I was saying before, there's a geopolitical issue that's going on with China. There is the, the, the financial problem with people losing their, their jobs, maybe their home, you know, they're losing their wealth. You know, there is obviously their health issue that's going on. There is this uh, 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 trying to get, there's this big movement out there to, 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 so Trump doesn't get reelected. Um, just so everyone knows I'm voting for Trump. So, but you know, Me too. But, you know, but you know, but when it comes to, so it's not so black and white what to do and what not to do. That's what I'm saying is, is that there isn't a scientific answer. Scientific answer is a piece of a geopolitical answer, a poli sci answer, a financial answer. It's a piece of it. But some of the scientists out there, I'm meaning the, you know, the bio, the biological realm scientists, they're the ones that are saying, oh, it's only a scientific answer because that's the only domain they know. But it's in terms of the in terms of the mask issue. I was told by another host out there, by the way, Paul, that they were going to burn their mask. And I thought, well, it's going to be good seeing you online then. I'm sure there'll be videos <laughs> on you somewhere trying to get inside a, a store getting kicked out. Right. Please well, do. Here's this is because I'm in a very high density area. I think that what I have to say to the people that are listening is important to heed. Okay. And this is how I am approaching it. Okay. Because I live in New York City, one of the hardest hit in the country and in one of the hardest hit in the world. How I handle is I try to stay indoors the most that I can. Yes, of course, you have to go to the grocery store. You have to have your mask on when you do that. You have to be, you know, six feet, you know, apart when you're waiting in line and stuff like that. When I'm outside walking around, not next to people, I don't have a mask on. When I'm running outside, I try to do it daily. Um, I don't have a mask, but I see people running around with a mask, yeah. which, you know, and they're by themselves. Yeah. So there's, a, or they're driving the car and they have a mask on. Right. By. You know, so there's, there, but. We have, you know, serious mass transit here, obviously, you know, with with uh, buses and subway. And because of that, can, you know, condensing of individuals where we are right now with the, the dynamic of, of this COVID-19, wearing a mask is prudent. But that is that is a different dynamic than out in the hills of, you know, Colorado. So right. it's not a one size fits all approach. Right. But if you're in a, in, if, so what? It depends on what activity you are doing in the day. Yeah, if you're not going to, if you I, don't I leave totally your house, you're not going to get the virus. I mean, if you're just staying at home, you'll be fine. Yeah, but I mean, there's people that are so germophobic. They're wearing, I mean, in my building, literally uh -oh. in my building, just for them, just go to their mailbox <laughs> and to come back, they got a mask on. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't do that because I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. I make sure that I wash my hands before I leave. And I make sure that I wash my hands, you know, when I come back, when I pick up the mail. Right. As long as you have proper hygiene, you don't need to be doing all this crazy stuff. Well, that I well that I agree with you on. You don't really need to go. Well, some, you don't really need to go that the that uh that distance. But some people you know. they're wearing their mask while they're fornicating. They're wearing their mask while they're taking a <laughs> shit. They're wearing their mask. You really? Know? They're wearing their mask everywhere. You know. You know because they, they just 
they it's it's equated as that's the only way they're not going to be infected. And here's the thing that really bugs me about Fauci in the game. Go ahead. You know, you know Fauci, besides him, you know, paying for the weapons development over at Wuhan, but besides that, you know, Fauci keeps on talking about mask wearing, you know, now. He didn't say mask wearing at the beginning because the first responders needed needed the masks, which I agreed with at the time because we were shortage we had shortage on masks because I was on your show and I said that it was more prudent for the first responders to have it because they are gonna be constantly exposed to people that are infected and it's better at that time because we were had shortage of masks to make sure they had them first. That's not the case anymore. So now the public can start wearing. But with that said, Fauci states now wear masks. Okay. He never says, you know what? It may be prudent to take some vitamin C and, you know, take some anti-inflammatories, you know, and, you know, natural, you know, like turmeric and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. That's what we he talked never about. states right. things that grandma told us to do, you know, like garlic, garlic, you know, right. And, 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 and ginger, you know, fresh, you know, grated ginger. These are all very good to boost up your immune system. And this has been known for centuries. This is not like fake science, pseudoscience. It, it, there's a discipline in uh, in uh, in the M for MDs where you can specialize in preventative medicine. It's called preventative preventative medicine. So it's a it's a um, it's a fellowship. Um, and what that does is it, it talks about how to prevent diseases through nutrition and supplementation and you know and proper health. This is a real science that is taught in medical schools. All right. So when people, so it, it shocks me that Fauci will say wear the mask, but won't say anything about you know what it won't hurt to to you know to make sure that you you double up on your vitamin C and you know and there's some other things like D3 and and but there's things that people can take to boost up their immune system. Right. That he should be telling people because by boosting up your immune system, the chances here's here's the the real big issue with the with the mask. Okay, if you have the mask on, all right, you're reducing the a viral product that you're issuing out into the public if you're sick. But if you're sick, you shouldn't be outside, period. I've stated that early on. But the ones that are not sick, having the mask on, they're also reducing the viral load coming in, all right? But it's not perfect. But what's more important is that if you have a boosted up immune system, even if you have a few viral products that you breathe in, your body can shed that out. You have to reach a certain viral load before you're actually infected. So if you have a boosted immune system, which is more important than the mask, in my opinion, as long as you are properly social distancing, that's that will re reduce your chances greatly because you have an immune system that can fight these few viral viral products that you might be picking up from the environment that you're in. But if you have right. a if you have a lowered immune system, it can't fight it and it just needs less viral load to actually induce an infection. Most people if they just get one of these SARS-CoV-2 viruses, they won't get infected. Just one viral product, they won't get infected. Doc, would you say COVID-19 deniers are the new flat earthers? <laughs> yes, absolutely. The proof is absolutely. in the pudding. You'll, you'll yeah, figure absolutely. it out. Absolutely, absolutely. Not only that, these these people are going on on these these COVID nineteen um, 
uh, deniers. They're not just denying COVID-19. Some of them are denying viruses exist. That's mind-boggling. I, 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 I mean, and, they're, and, and they're in oh God! That was the shocker. Yeah, they should know better for sure, uh, Doc. How did they even pass? How did they even pass medical school denying viruses? Well, you know, they, 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 I, I, there's certain things I can't say because I'm governed by AMA, American oh. Medical Association. But, okay. But, okay. but, 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 I can do say this: in in medical school, you have in um, a a a phenomenal amount of education that's dealing with pathogens. All right. Yeah, it, 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 a very big part of it is pathology and, and dealing with pathogens. All right, it does surprise me for individuals to have that don't believe in the germ theory coming out of medical school. That that kind of does shock me. But all you have to do is just pass the step exams and your board exams, and you know, do well in your residencies, and you know, and you know, and then you're you're a licensed doctor. But it, it is shocking, and but. You don't know if they're just being paid to create havoc within the alternative, you know, um, world that we're in here, the news world. Like I, I've noticed, like there's two camps with this COVID nineteen camp. Okay, and for lack of a, a lack of a way to define it, I'm going to call it the 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 Paul Cottrell camp and, <laughs> and 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 the Richie from Boston camp. All right, all right. The Paul Cottrell camp believes in germ theory. You know, and that there are nefarious things that, that can happen that that um, that can push infection and that uh, the powers that be may take that as an opportunity to usher in one world agendas. OK, that's my camp. The other camp is saying that everything everything is orchestrated and that that um, uh if something happens in the news and it's taking away something from you, like a civil liberty or something, then that event really didn't happen, but they're just faking it using Photoshop or, you know, or, you know, some sort of editing software, you know, and that, that the world's flat and that we never went to the moon. And they, these people are just, they, these people just, they, I, I, the Richie from Boston is the, the pinnacle of this. And these prominent doctors are promoting their, their 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 theories on Richie from Boston, and because his channel's so big, it's like three hundred some thousand or more, maybe six hundred thousand. Um, you know that these flat earthers start believing that viruses don't exist. So now you're trying. To, I'm trying to inform the public there's a second wave, and that it's through this D six one four G mutation, and that it's not shedding. And that is a problem, and it's going to add to the probability of gaining function for these other receptors that I'm very concerned about. And I have to fight on top of that these people that don't even believe that viruses exist. Amazing. You know, so it's like it. it that's why I'm saying that the scientific community needs to band together and stop the infighting because literally people are going to die if we don't. And they have been dying. I'm not saying this (laughs) hyperbole. People literally are dying because we can't get our act together. That's that's right, because people think they know better. They think they know best. That's the problem. And we're talking about a second wave here, but I feel like the first wave hasn't even passed, to be honest. Well, you know, the thing is, is it's it's the way it's... Someone's getting out of bond, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm in, I'm in Iraq. You might want to sorry. mute yourself, by the way, Mike. All right, we'll do. Go so, ahead. So it depends on how you define how you define the waves. Okay, I'm defining it based on uh, peak daily new cases and 
the peak in the United States took place at about 36,000, uh, almost about 36.4 thousand cases per day. And that was on um, April 24th. Then it started to go down. All right. And this coincides with the ramp down in, the, in New York. Then there was an inflection point where it started to go back up about uh, 612. So June 12th. It just so happens that so it's so it just so happens that in May, 70 percent of the cases are the G mutation, while the most of the April cases were from the D mutation. Right. So I'm delineating it two different ways. I'm delineating it based on which cases had which version of the mutation. And it, you can see that there was a delineation in late April, early May, and the delineation between the actual new cases reported by Johns Hopkins. And you, you can see, because of that, you can see two distinct waves. So if now, if one defines second wave as new receptor affinity and loss of receptor affinity for ACE2, no, we are not in the second wave. So it depends on how you define second wave. I see. But I'm defining it. I'm defining it based on how many new cases per day we are seeing in the United States, and I'm I'm also defining it based on it coincides with more cases with the G mutation, the, the G614 mutation for the spike protein with these new cases. So, um, and the ramp up. If you look at the ramp up, it's far more. Now that doesn't mean. That some of you know that part of this increase of the second wave wasn't exacerbated by people not following mass protocols during the, the protests. Going out, it, yeah, yeah, it could, it, it could have been, could have been but all sorts of things. It could have been, yeah. So it's it's not just one thing. That's my point. It's yeah. like it's not black and white. This thing is so multifaceted. It's right. A, it's a multivariable problem. So some of it is people going out and not social distancing properly. Right, right. Lots uh, of some of it is some of it is the G mutation that stays in the body longer, doesn't shed. Therefore, there's a there, there there's a higher probability of infection. If it, if some if you hit something that's more chronic, it's harder and harder to get rid of, and your body just gets worn down. So I you know I'm still calling this as a second wave because. Of this, but it's it still has strong affinity for the ACE2 receptor, so it hasn't lost affinity and gained a huge change with the other receptors. But it does have affinity to the other receptors, just not as strong as it has with the ACE2. The two ones to watch out for right now for affinity is CD147 because it gets into the red blood cells and the and the T cells, and this ACE2. Those those are the two big ones. But the other ones that I mentioned, they they are on the watch list because there is uh, there 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 are affinities with those receptors, just not as strong as with the CD one forty seven and the ACE two. So it just depends on how you define second wave. If one states a whole new receptor gain or a whole different type of uh, uh, clinical presentation of SARS CoV two, no, we're not in the second wave. If you want to define it that way. But I'm defining it, and I'm looking at the new cases per day, and it's substantially more. That's I pretty mean, wild. We are already up over 50,000 per day now in the United States. While in in the heat in New York, the United States was only at about 36,000 per day. 
See the difference? Yes. So that's why I'm saying that this is much, and it wasn't a gradual increase. What happened was it went down and then spiked up. So that's why I'm saying there was an inflection point. There was a substantial inflection point on January 13th. I'm sorry, not January, uh, on June 13th. On June 13th, there was an inflection point for the second wave. That's when it's, that's, I'm calling it, it started on June 13th. Understood. And of course I was. At 7.30 a.m. I was, I was going to ask you, um, Doc, what's going on out there in your hometown there? Well, uh, you know, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. We've been sheltered in place for a long time. We, you know, we were, we were having this phase, phase out. A four level phase out. We went through the first phase, no problem. Uh, second phase, we were near the tail end of the second phase of the of the, the rollout, um, where restaurants were going to have indoor dining, and then all of a sudden you had the spike in the United States. So Governor Cuomo, you know, started putting in provisions where indoor dining was going to be restricted. Um, also, New Jersey is starting to put provisions on you know certain um, eateries. So they're slowing down the rollout for opening up. Um, I still see a lot of people wearing masks, you know, in, you know, in New York City. That I in New York, I would say the far majority have abide by quote the recommendations of the CDC and and the, and the governor. Um, you know, but I think they take it a little too far. Some people take it, you know, a little bit too far. But um, but New York, you know, we saw a lot of deaths. Oh yeah, you know, eight hundred and fifty deaths per day when it was at its peak. It was scary, and you know, I can understand why people are they have that that concern, and maybe they're you know a little bit maybe more germaphobic, you know, versus the rest of the country. But I'm not seeing any. I'm not seeing any new you know big new case pop you know popping up. Um, so it's weird because that, that, you know, about four weeks ago, I was on Mike Adams' show and I was saying, you know what, you know, maybe the second wave is going to be muted, you know, that it's not going to be that bad because of what I'm seeing in New York. That once you have about 20%, 20% of the population infected, that, you know, maybe that is like a magic number that it just starts to go down. Like each, each infection has a certain peak that it has to reach before it starts to die out, if it does die out, right? right? So, because we don't know anything about this, it just so happened that the data in New York was saying that about 20% of the people in the state had it, depending on the region, but on average, you know, about 20% of the state contracted it based on antibody, te- uh, antibody testing. And it was, I think, a sample of 8,000 or so across the state. So it was a decent sized sample. Most of the states before this second wave started, was at 10% or less. And because it was 10% or less, um, you know, I said to Mike, you know, it, it, it might increase a little bit, but then, but then um, it will, you know, probably peak at about 20% of the population and start to go back down, assuming the same dynamics that we had in New York. Well, that was assuming the D614 mutation or, you know, the, you know, uh, strand. Yeah. You know, now it's a totally different dynamic because it doesn't shed as easily. That's mm. the point that people need to realize. You don't have to be a scientist to understand this. If it doesn't get out of the cytoplasm of your cell as fast, you have a problem. It's that simple. The longer it's in the cell, the, the more chance of weird things that happen. Doc, I, I have a question for you, and, and yeah. not to take you from the subject that you're talking about, but just out of curiosity, is this virus uh, – are animals immune from this? 
there was there there was cases of animals um, getting infected. That's right. Now what's now what's interesting is that in the laboratory they had to force the jump between species because species have different ACE2 receptor topologies. All right, the shape of the receptor is slightly different. So a dog ACE2, a canine ACE2, is going to be different than an avian ACE2. All right, and that was the reason why it, it took so much research to jump the species. But once you jumped, it was very easy for the scientists to start to rapidly tune it with many different many different methods, either a cellular method or a restrictive enzyme method or or um, CRISPR. But there's many different ways to to, to fine tune the capability, but. To answer your question, but to answer your question, there is there, there there are cases where animals have been getting infected. Now, I don't know if the autopsies were showing that the SARS that the SARS-CoV-2 virus was infecting the ACE2 receptor of that animal or some other receptor of the animal. Yeah, I don't think that was ever present in any of the reports that we read but, online. But yeah, cats and dogs have been uh, contracting right. the virus. Right, and I also heard that there were um, that there was there there were um, zoo that, that in a zoo that there was uh, the a lion or, or a li- tiger yeah. or a lion or something that was infected. Absolutely, but I don't think it was there was any there was any definitive proof that it was the ACE two receptor that was was the mechanism. Yeah, I also think it was a zookeeper that uh, did it, or a pet owner as well. That's how these pets are contracting the virus. It could be. I could think be. so. But I could be likely, wrong. Most yeah. likely, there's enough homology between species, you know, for, for mammals that, that it's probably close enough that it will infect the animal through the ACE2 receptor. So to answer your question, yes, but I don't think it's as quote infectious as just going from human to human. Right. It's not so good and dry. Just as as deadly. Just as deadly. Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's not enough animals to say, state that. I mean, was, was those animals somewhat compromised already? You know, were they old? Did, were, did they have infection, prior infection? Uh, you know, there's just not enough data on that. Yeah, um, it's, you know, you know. I was right. just curious. So everything is um uh, up and down in New York, for better or for worse. And uh, California, yeah. is, we're, we're getting hit as well, by the way. Gavin Newsom mentioned the, the Imperial County, where, which is where I reside, basically. So, you know, I already had mentioned that to Mike that we were running out of uh, PPE and, of course, uh, medical personnel. Lots of people are being flown all over Southern California from our hospital here in El Centro, California, by the way, Doc. Well, you know what's interesting with California is to say you have about 251,000 cases confirmed. And when you're, when you're talking about <clears> – <throat> this is part of the reason why – see, when you were saying, you know, you thought maybe that the wave – you're still in the first wave. It seemed like see, it, but yeah. Hence, it dis- because if you look at just your state and not the aggregate of the country – just your state, that's what it looks like. And it's just a con it's just it's just increasing more and more and there was right. no bump. So that's what I'm saying is it's it's very it's very idiosyncratic depending on the region you're looking at. But the date that's why I'm stating that you have to reference the mutation paper. Yeah, that's and the that's issue. The rate, the rate of increase, the rate of increase of new cases per day in California, if we go back to that September, uh, not September, um, uh, G- uh, uh, June 13th, that's when it starts to really climb. 
So there's, there's something fundamentally different. There's an inflection point that the, the rate of change is much more in California in the second week of June. And that's why I say that y- you guys are now seeing the G. Yeah, and that, you know, you're now, you're now at 8,000 per day cases. Yeah, we're catching up, catching yeah, up to New in, York. In New York, and New York was at 12,000 per day. Yeah, it's pretty wild. The, you know, I'm blaming the old and young generations thinking everything is honky dory and they all went out there and lived it up a little bit. And now most of them are sick and it's, it's a terrible thing. Many, many people have lost their lives. Many angry pastors also lost their lives thinking they were untouchable, thinking that this was, uh, mm-hmm. that this was nonsense and, and they were uh, covered in the, the blood of Jesus. So they would be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we've learned throughout history that there's no safe spaces and everyone and anyone can get taken out. Paul and Mike. You know, it's just like <laughs> insane, right? Well, I mean, it was the same problem that we had with with uh, Korea, with South Korea, with that, oh. that religious sect that, you know, was praying together. And their, their part of their belief system is, is that if one is sick, everyone prays around the, the sick person. Well, if you have an infectious disease, that's a perfect way of spreading it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it depends on what the issue is. If it's oh, not an infectious brother. disease, maybe, you know, the power of prayer may help, you know, being by someone. But, you know, if you're within an infectious disease situation, you know, congregating is not the best option. Probably not. And, and uh, even uh, there was a case um, in, in Michigan where – it was a um, an individual was picking up his child from New Jersey from a boarding school, a religious boarding school, and this is right. This is around late February, early March, and took the child home back to Michigan. And about two weeks later, the community started getting infected with with COVID nineteen. So I mean, you know, it's just like people need to be they need to use some common sense. You know, but it doesn't mean that, again, you know, that, you know, you have to fornicate with a with a mask on, you know. <laughs> People are actually doing that, Paul. I, know. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, they, they really are doing that. You have um, evidence of this. <laughs> Did you see with your own so, eyes? You know, the thing is, is, if you're so worried about that, then, you know, why, you know, you know, like, <laughs> wow. you know I just, you know, but I I, I can understand, Michael, why you would think from a California-only perspective why you think it's the first wave. Because if you look at the cases, it's just a steady increase, and you know, and there is this, this, it, 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 it and then it, it turns. It was more linear increase, and then it starts advancing per day the second week of June. Yeah, I agree with you. I had no point of contention. It's just the way I've been seeing it. It's like, did we even get rid of the first wave out here? Yeah. Well, I mean, according to the data, according, you know, according to the paper that's going to be published in Cell, the new cases that are coming out are G. Are G, the, yeah, the new mutation. That's a new mutation. Right. That's what's moving around now. So, and that, again, that doesn't shed out of the cell. That you know, if it the, the old one was bad, the new one, it stays in the body longer to assemble. That's much more potent. So yeah, yeah. So I just like I mean, so that this is part of the reason why you're seeing like in in your state when you had D, you were only seeing about two thousand, maybe two thousand three hundred cases per day. Now you're seeing eight. Now we're seeing a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's like this this mutation is is a 
is one of the reasons why we're seeing these increased cases in the United States per day and what I'm calling for the country second wave. And by the way, Paul, do you agree with California telling houses of worship to discontinue singing? Discontinuing singing? Yeah, they, they are telling you not to sing in church out here in California. They're still congregating? I believe so. Some well, places I mean, a lot are. of churches have been doing like the online, you know. I guess you could still attend some in-person church services here in California, but you can't sing. That's the the new rule. Well, you know, I my personal think thinking here is is that because the country is starting to see massive infections, I think houses of worship should go back online like they were doing. That would probably be now, a better idea. Now, my brother's Orthodox, Orthodox Jew. Um, and he said that in his community, they go to the rabbi and you have to sign a paper and you have to show that you actually have been tested negative. Um, and then it's only 10 people because in the Jewish religion to do certain prayers, you have to have 10 people certain, if you don't have 10 men, then you can't say certain prayers, especially like Morris Kaddish or reading from the Torah. So it, so they made sure that you can only congregate 10 people and that they've been tested and they test negative. All right. So, and, and you can't like move from one congregation to another. You can only pray together nowhere else until, you know, you know, we get past this. So they have provisions within the community to try to prevent the spread. Now, in the you know in the Christian faith, um, that's a little different. Where you know it, it, it you know everyone just congregates to one area. Um, but there, it, my understanding is is that in in the Christian faith that there is no there is no guideline on saying how many people have to be attending to allow certain prayers to be said. So you know it may be more prudent you know to follow you know a very small congregation kind of model and just kind of like rotate you know, the, the, the individuals, you know, in the, in the church, um, you know, maybe only, you know, for a larger church, maybe only having, you know, 20 or 25 people in there at any given moment. Yeah, lower capacity. Right. Yeah. The act of singing itself might be a the contributing. Singing, I don't know. I, well, they're I saying that's, that's, yeah, that's what they're saying. It's I a contributing transmission through emission of aerosols. I don't know. Here's, I don't. The, here's the issue. Here's the issue with church. Having been a former Roman, Roman Catholic myself, uh, and I used to go to church when I was a boy. Um, the thing is, a lot of these people who believe, who are firm believers, um, feel, and, and this is, I'm not joking when I say this, some of them feel that by going to church, um, whether they wear a mask or not, that they are protected, per se, by the God that they believe in. And, and that is, uh, obviously, not a scientifically proven theory. Uh, it's simply as all religion is based on blind faith. So that's part of the reason why a lot of people who are are uh, part of the Christian Church, uh, you know, feel the way they do. Um, you know, they they want to go to church, they want to pray because they feel that by praying, it's uh, going to help. You know, uh, it's good in their heart, but not exactly scientifically proven, as I just said. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the Orthodox. In the Orthodox um, way of prayer for Jews, it's not so much singing, it's cantation. So it's not like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's more, 
I'll do it more like in a monk chant instead of saying it in Hebrew. You know, something like that instead of right. singing. Like, so, right. you know, I, why, you know, why does someone have to sing a prayer? Why can't yeah. they just chant? Well, you know, prayer? religion, Doc, you know, I mean, that that's religion. That's what it's all about, you know. Why is anything yeah. done in religion? Yeah, it, yeah. I just I, I see I you know it, if it's low capacity and the the parishioners are distant from each other, you know, twelve feet singing probably doesn't matter. And that's what they did in a lot of churches. I know uh, for a uh, matter of fact, my father is a Roman Catholic, and uh, he was telling me that the church that he was going to, they were. Uh, the pews that were set up in the church were set up so that you could sit within, I guess, a five to six feet distance from someone else. See, I would do 12. I think 12 is really the better way of doing it. Because, you know, they were saying that if it's, you know, if it's, if it's droplet, then it's six feet. If it's aerosol, you want to go 12 to 15 feet. So if, you know, if they're concerned about it's spreading farther out because you're singing, I would do the 12 feet. Well, now, Doc, you just brought something up that I, I need to question you on because I do remember one time that we did interview you. Mm-hmm. I could almost swear you said that it had become an airborne disease or, or virus. Are you saying that's not that's not the case now? See, early on, you know, I think I think this was maybe the first show. It was maybe the first show. Um, there were reports that were coming out that um, that that this was airborne. And there was a lot of question about how long did it stay on a surface. So, right, right, right. You know, we were, you know, there, there was some talk, well, does it stay on the surface for three days or did it, does it stay on the surface for nine days? You know, was it, you know, was it, was it droplet or aerosol? Um, and those were the good old days, time, by the way. Wuhan, this was, <laughs> this was before, when we were talking about this, this was before the United States had this. The good old days. Yeah, we were talking, this was the Wuhan, you know, this was dealing with the Wuhan crisis. And we were saying, you know, prepare, it's coming to the United States. This That was when we had this conversation. Right. So in Wuhan, it, it was so bad that the researchers were suggesting um, that were coming out of Taiwan, some of the researchers from Taiwan, because I have... I have um, a, f- a friend who's who's from Taiwan that was translating the news for me. Her name's Miss Taiwan, right? I put her on the show. That's her her moniker, Miss Taiwan. Right, I remember and, her. And and uh, she does direct translation of shows for me. Okay, she watches it and she's directly translating it. And um, some of the the scientists on the show were stating that they were concerned about the aerosol capability in Wuhan. Right. And so that's where that whole conversation was, is that that this, at that time, we were very concerned that it, that it was an air, quote, airborne and not just droplet type virus. But I think that with more studies in the United States, it's not so much airborne transmission. I don't think it's conclusive yet. But I think it, the transmission is more through either direct contact or a droplet. Yeah, droplets or contact, I think, is the best way um, that now, this thing is being transmitted. Go ahead. Right. But w- what's important here uh, now is, is that um, this is not just a pulmonary disease. This is a blood disease. This is an immune disease. 
This is not, you know, there's even signs that this is a neurological disease. There are many neuroscientists out there that saying, hey, don't just, you know, look at the blood in the in the pulmonary system, but also look at the, you know, the, the neurons. And, and, and even on my show, one of the very first callers I had was a was a father of a child that had coronavirus. Um, this the, the hospital was refusing to test for for COVID-19. And the child had these severe headaches, and I mentioned this on the show. Yes, you and did. That, and, and it had uh, gliosis in the radiological findings. You know, it's funny and, you say that. I just wanted to quickly tag on to that, Doc. It's it's very interesting that you bring that up because just earlier today on Twitter, I saw uh, this guy, doctor here saying that he has a 29-year-old patient uh, that who basically will never speak again or walk normal because of COVID, and there's yeah, damage to his good. brain. Yeah, it could be, you know, and there's, and there's two ways that that could happen. Well, maybe more than two ways. I'll try to just simplify it to, to two pathways here. Go for it. Uh, um, one could be actually a neurological, uh, you know, pathway. The other could have been a, 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 um, a blood clot that led to a stroke. See, what, what I'm hearing from the grand rounds isn't so much the gliosis, which is the inflammation of of glia cells that help with the immune system of the brain. Okay, um, they get they they start to get infected and they they're, they they're, they um, they you know they show a certain uh, pathology. All right, but what the grand rounds is saying that because this blood starts the, the the cells start to die and they start getting clots that they have to go on anticoagulants and you know to prevent heart attacks and strokes. Right. So there are many cases where that if they can't control that, they can get these strokes and you get brain damage from it. So when someone says they, they could have, you know, brain damage from COVID-19, is it because of some sort of blood clotting issue, you know, and, 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 and taking a, a, a stroke path? Or was it, you know, actually through the, you know, some neur- neuron issue? Um, that definitely there are neuron pathologies and, you know, again, I, early on in February or like the first week of February, I had a case that the, the father called in and stated it, that the kid had extreme headaches, was vomiting and, you know, and that, you know, that this, that, you know, and that's and there's, there's published papers out there that there's, there's a neurological side to this, um, that was more central nervous system. Some of the other papers that were published were more peripheral nervous system disorders. Um, but a lot of the cases that are coming from the Grand Rounds is, is talking about strokes and heart attacks that are associated with the, the the blood clotting. Good Lord. And, of course, Paul, everything is going good with uh, the family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my mother, my mother is – I was very worried about my mother. I mean, it's just like because she has COPD and she's in terrible health. Um, so, you know, at least for the first wave in Michigan, they, you know, are okay. You know, my parents, um, my brother and his family um, is uh, is okay. His, one of his children did get sick, but it just seems like it's it's more allergy related, not, you know, not COVID related. Um, right. But um, so, so far, so good, you know, but again... You know, Michigan and New York is on the decline. Um, we haven't seen an uptick yet in New York or Michigan, but we do see upticks in other states. 
you know, your your state is, you know, climbing. Yeah, we're getting scary, hammered out scary here. Scary climbing. Yeah, it's, it's another one as scary as Texas. Texas, another place, and I just talked to another guest that was living out here in Los Angeles, and they moved to somewhere. I think I think it was Austin, Texas, and I told them. So you moved to one hot spot to another, and uh, basically what he wanted to do was visit restaurants and go to bars. I thought, oh my fucking god! Oh, you know, you know where the weird, you know where the strange thing is, <laughs> and I was mentioning this to some people. We are vastly approaching. Once we get into flu season, we are vastly approaching the nomenclature COVID twenty. Go ahead and explain that. Yeah, go ahead and explain that to uh, the listeners out there. So COVID nineteen is because it started at the it, 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 at the end of the year. The, you know the you know the, the the last quarter. Once we get into the last quarter of this year, we're going to go into COVID-20. And then they'll carry us because people don't realize that the flu season isn't based on the calendar. It overlaps. It's like the, 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 the last quarter of this year following into the third, all the way through the third quarter of next year. That's how they, they work. So that's why they say, you know, the, the, the let's say the 2018-2019 flu season. You follow me? So we're going to be rapidly changing the nomenclature and people are going to start talking about COVID-20 at the end of the year. And people are going to freak out. They're going to say, huh? What does that mean? What does that mean? And then that's another. Then people will start saying, was that second wave? Is that what? What does that mean? So it's like, and then it launches into this whole worry that I have with the BioPatriot Act, this never-ending vaccine program that just keeps on coming and coming and, you know, and hurting you. You know, and I just... I was somewhat elated that, you know, that Moderna came out with the news that they, you know, they were having issues and that they were delaying the clinical trial. But how long they delay it, I don't know. I don't know that, you know, I saw it, you know, from the business news perspective through uh, CNBC. So there wasn't that much information about, you know, what was the cause of the delay? You know, is it the whole platform doesn't work or not? But, you know... People don't realize that, th- that this thing is going to carry us through into next year. Now, does that mean that it's going to be as as terrible? I don't know. We don't know. We, we don't know because we're in we're in the world of unknown with this thing. Unfortunately, but, yeah. but uh, it, it, a lot of damage has been caused by just just economically to this country. Absolutely, absolutely, and of course, uh, Joshua in the chat brings up another good point. He is. Saying you are forgetting the swine flu H1N1, which is now circulating in China, which is very true. A, another, uh, another f- uh, tidbit, by the way, uh, Mike and Doctor, to add to the um, party here. Uh, another potential um, possibility for another pandemic. Yeah. When I first moved to New York, I think it was a year later, I think it was the year after the I there would they had the, the big swine flu um breakout in New York and I got it and I threw up a lot <laughs> nice and, you know I just like I just like felt like you know sick as a dog I mean I was like it was really bad and, but you know I, I you know I got through it but what's the chances of two pandemics happening in the same year my god when a pandemic is usually defined you know this kind of pandemic is usually defined you know once every 100 years now the, you know the the swine flu quote pandemic um that you know was maybe once every 10 years so you know you don't have a very strong probability that 
two of these things are going to be happening at the same time, but that doesn't mean they can't. They they could, but I'm not. They've been talking about swine flu, years, H one N one for years, two thousand nine, and the avian <laughs> flu and everything else, and it, you know, and well, Paul, we can't rule it out. I mean, look what happened in twenty twenty. We had a pandemic, and then we had riots all all in the same I, I think, time. You here. know, yeah, but you, you know, if you look at the Torah, you know, the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when when they were when Egypt was being plagued, it wasn't being plagued every day with frogs or blood you know, in the sea or, you know, or, you know, fire from the sky every day. God decided to pick on each day a different plague. So I have a hard time believing it's going to be a viral plague on us again and again and again. I think it's more probable that we have an asteroid hit us than yeah, <laughs> some well, other, you know, major catastrophe. You can't rule it volcano, out. You know, um, yeah. you know, Yellowstone. You know, volcano, Yellowstone going on. Yeah. Then we have, you know, swine flu. We can't rule it out in 2020. I mean, look, look what's going on, my friend. <laughs> you know what's weird is, is that in, in, in ophthalmology and in optometry, you know, they say 2020, you know, 2020 vision, mm-hmm. right? That's like perfect vision. Isn't it weird that we're in the 2020 year? And it's like there's many people, and I'm sure that in your circle, you, you, you know, you would agree with this, that they just have, they, they have like almost like that intuitive sense of things that are happening they they, they, they they can see it it's very clear to them that there is there is something that is metaphysical happening that is allowing us to see things clearer than normal i just find that odd that it's happening on a year 2020 but that's just you know kind that's of a, a metaphysical you know observation well, that's a good observation there paul but it's just it's it's weird it's it's very weird and it, there's there's a symmetry to the year you know 2020 there's a symmetry to it well according according to uh, some of the research i did uh there it seemed that every 100 years on the 20th year of that that century um was a plague really but, well yeah i mean i looked it up i was looking up plagues uh and um you know some of the um I can't even remember their names, but, you know, one was in 1720, another one was in 1820, uh, then we had the flu of uh, 1918 to 1920. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they've been, uh, they seem to be coming around well, in, you the, know, there's, in the 20s. There is some theories out there of um, kind of like, I can't explain it very well, but it, it, it's it's like a our solar system Bob Bob's up and down relative to the galactic axis. And then as it's bobbing up and down, that it's getting more, let's say, galactic radiation than in other times. So there are theorists out there that are saying that maybe you know there there is this increase in radiation that causes zoonotic mutations that allow for you know, you know, these types of events to happen. Maybe, maybe there's something astrological that is happening. It's an that interesting allows, theory. You know, that, that allows for zoonotic mutation. But the thing is, is that this particular event was not zoonotic. This was man-made. So that's the weird part about it. Yeah, is that it co- It's man-made, but it coincides to, quote, zoonotic types of situations. And we know the other ones were zoonotic because they didn't have molecular biology in the 1720s, right. and, you know, and all these, you know, fancy, you know, bio, you know, biotech techniques. Yeah. 
Makes sense. By the way, I found that clip that I was uh, talking to you about, uh, you and Mike here, about the 29-year-old patient. Let's, um, let's play that. This is normal brain. You see, like, darkness here, whiteness. See this darkness right here. Kind of lose the distinction between darkness and whiteness. This is here. You can see the darknesses and whiteness. Here you kind of lose it. Here you kind of lose it. Here you have it. This is a large infarction of the majority of the left brain of this guy, 29-year-old guy, with COVID. This is caused by the COVID. He probably will never be able to speak or understand language or use his right leg again because of COVID. So, I mean, you know, even though you might be young and you might live through it, doesn't mean you will be normal afterwards. That's very true. Wow. Yeah, this falls right in line with what I was saying, that he he had a blood clot that, you know, went to the brain. And uh, I don't have the video of that uh, that clip, by the way, but what he's uh, describing is basically this image of this person's brain, and you're seeing, well, he described it perfectly, but basically in the video, you're, you're just seeing an image go going in and out and you're seeing the blackness and whiteness in it mm-hmm. but yes um very well, interesting it was, probably, it was probably a ct scan right it was probably say a ct scan it was probably it was you know it's showing the, the the when you have that that uh ischemic event when you have that tissue dying um you just i mean it's it's it 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 looks different on that radiogram so, you know, you can tell which, which area of the, I, I can't see the picture, but, you know, just to try to describe it is, is that you'll be able to see the, the radio, the, the radio um, um, reactivity of the brain will be different in, in, that, in, that, in that area. And it'll show that basically that tissue is dead because it didn't have blood. It didn't have blood supply. So this well, is the reason why, like in someone that's older, they get a stroke then all of a sudden they can't speak because that area of the brain say the Broca area of the brain literally died. Well, now here's an interesting thing. Uh, Michael, you may recall this that I had told you a few months ago. I had a cousin. I was so just going to ask you cousin. about that. Yes. Go ahead, Mike. My, my cousin had contracted um, uh, the virus and it had gone to his brain. Now, fortunately, he's okay. But as I said, uh, it had gone to his brain. They didn't think he was going to live, but he has since come out of it and he's okay. So I guess uh, it all depends on where the the virus travels in your body to do the most damage is that is that assumed to uh, uh is that safe to assume oh yeah definitely but you know specifically do you do you know how long he had it yes uh somewhere in the vicinity i remember he went into the hospital after having contracted it and i gotta tell you he was probably out within less than two weeks and as I said, they were they they really I mean, thought he, that he, he was I mean, he was shown was he showing the pulmonary problems? That I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I do know that they they really thought he wasn't going to make it. That's wild. Was he on a, a was he intubated? Or, uh, you, know you mean he was intubated? Was he on a ventilator? You know, I again, I, I don't have all the details. I was just happy that he was alive. Right. Um, right. I really couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I just well, you know, there, I, was this, I there was this discussion with you know with some neuroscientists that have you know some good theories you know stating that you know that maybe it's going through the olfactory first and creeping up. Um, there were some papers that we reviewed in one of my one of my classes at at, at Harvard for my pro seminar, and um, that was talking more of the central 
you know, it was uh, talking more on the peripheral nervous system relative to COVID-19 than the central nervous system. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's definitely different presentations for different patients, but there is a uh, there is like a common theme for most patients, and that is pulmonary first, and then you know other complications start. Just but like there, the first responders is, of 9/11. Yeah, yeah. wild. Uh, you know the thing is, is that there, uh, uh, one of the doctors on the grand rounds that I was. That, that that I uh, that I listened to just a week ago. He he stated that. Uh oh, I have no idea what happened there. Did we get booted from the the phone call? Is that what happened here? Oh yep, that's what happened, folks. I apologize for that. I was uh, booted from the call there. Go ahead. Within the severe cases that survived, that have so much fibrotic scarring that they will need lung transplantation. Later down the road. By the way, Paul, can you repeat that? I, I was booted from the call. I'm not sure why or how. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> this guy booted me out. I don't know what happened there. Okay. So what I was stating is, is that on the on the grand rounds that I was listening to, the uh, the doctor uh, MD stated that there is going to be a certain percentage of patients that had the severe. COVID-19 disease with the extreme fibrosis within the lung, there's going to be a statistical significant population that will need lung transplantation. That means, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to need that. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But there is a, quite a few that, that fall into the extreme category that are, that fall in that category that I was telling you early on that there this there for some people this will be chronic doc I have a question for you um, I've heard a significant amount of accounts of which people have um, they go to the hospital they end up dying at the hospital and I hear that the hospital gets thirteen thousand dollars for each case of somebody that dies of coronavirus am I am I saying that right is that right I don't know about the dollar amount, but yeah, there is an incentive. There's a financial incentive for them to, you know, claim it as a COVID-19 case. You got to remember like, that these hospitals, that? these hospitals lost so much money just in, you know, secondary operations, you know, operations that were, you know, elective and they had to close down their whole facility. So you're so, telling me that hospitals know, closed as a result of... Uh hospitals had to had to shut down their operations and they didn't have income it would no, normal normal streams of income you know to dealing with elective surgeries and that's a, as a result of, of the virus yeah because like in New York elective surgeries were all shut down were shut off they weren't allowed to do them they weren't allowed to do surgeries they weren't allowed to do elective surgeries if you if you were having a heart attack and you had to have a, a, you know a triple bypass or you die they would do it but they wouldn't get. They weren't going to do. Let's say. Let's say kidney stones, and you, you know, or, or you know, or uh, or that hip replacement that you know that that could be postponed. So there were a lot of elective surgeries that were postponed, and that you know, a lot of this stuff was bread and butter for the hospitals. Yeah, lots of cancer. Yeah, a lot. There were lots, lots of, of yeah. individuals. Yeah, I've seen a lot of um, YouTube YouTubers. They were very worried about them not being able to finish their cancer treatments. That's right. But here, this is the catch-22 with cancer. So they are immune-suppressed. 
So they're going into a situation where if they get COVID, they, they're not going to make it. So it's like not have, you know, it's, it's a weird situation. Not having the chemo could kill them, but going in to get the chemo could kill them. Yeah. It's, it's a very you know, so odd. It's like, how do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you make that call? It's insane you know, it's what's like, going yeah, on. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I just, my heart goes out to that. I mean, there was this one woman that was crying on, on the internet, you know, on, on YouTube about how she couldn't do her cancer treatment. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, uh, Michael knows this, but two months ago, I had to get rushed to the hospital for a kidney stone. And, you know, I was nervous just about going in the hospital. But then again, the hospital I went to wasn't like, you know, a New York hospital or a big, big city hospital. You know, I'm out here in Pennsylvania. So um, the the biggest thing was actually, you know, being concerned about going into the hospital uh, where all these germs could be uh, accumulating. Um, fortunately, nothing happened. I passed the stone, although I felt like I was passing a, a rock through my right. my, my groin. Um, right. Other otherwise, otherwise, everything else was kind of secondary to me because I was more concerned about going into the hospital. Well, did they know. did they do the ultras? Did, did they did they blast it with like a sound no. wave? No, or? no, they it was very simplistic. Actually, the pain was ungodly. Uh, I I, I could have shoved. A, a, a boulder up my behind it would have been a lot easier um no basically uh i got to the hospital in excruciating pain they gave me uh first they hooked me up with an iv i guess regular saline and then they put treminol is that am i saying it right treminol i don't know it's some sort of a muscle relaxer that uh i i think really specific uh, specifies the relaxation of uh, the kidney and the bladder because it was trapped in the transit from the kidney to the bladder. Uh, and they said it was small. <laughs> they were like, oh, this is easy. You'll pass it. And I'm like, really? So You mean uh, tramadol? Is that what it is, tramadol? Yeah, if, it, if it's a opiate, yeah, or well, opioid. They, they said it wasn't an opiate. They said it was a non-narcotic uh, medication. Weird. Whatever it was. Yeah, it whatever worked, it was. It, it worked fantastic, as a matter of fact. I and see. I ended up I ended up passing it. And I haven't had a problem since. And the weird and when you were past it, when you passed it, you didn't have pain. I didn't feel it at all. No, I, it, they said it was so small that. Um, well, that's it. They said it was small, <laughs> you know. But uh, I don't know. I I haven't had any problems since. But you know, it was my first one, and all the water I drink, I I, I pretty much only drink water, orange juice, and Gatorade. That's all I drink. And most, I would stay away from Gatorade. Stay away okay. from Gatorade. Okay. The reason why is, is it's way too much sugar. There's, there's, if you if you look at it, there's a lot of sugar in there. And I, I and, understand what you're saying, Doc, but the fact is, I don't drink it that much. I only drink it once in a while if I need some electrolytes. You know that. You know what I did when I was doing triathlons? I would take, um, I would take. Uh, now this is when I was working a lot. You know, working out a lot. But I would take um, a, a, bo- a bottle of water. All right. And then you're better off actually with taking, let's say, Coca-Cola and putting about a quarter of, of the Coca-Cola in the water. Oh, so watering like, it down. Watering down Coca-Cola. Yeah. Like, you know, just a quarter of it. You know, quarter yeah. Coca-Cola and then the remainder water in the bottle and then just shaking it up. And there, that there's enough sugar in there to, to last, you know, you know, a large workout. That's what I did. I stayed away from Gatorade, but you know, even with that, are you saying that Gatorade Gatorade has more sugar in it than soda? Well, um, it's either has the same amount or has more. 
depending on how much Gatorade you drink. No way. Yeah. No, Get man. out. No, Are no, you it's Gatorade, it's, people don't realize that Gatorade has a lot of sugar in it. It's very no sweet. No wonder I like it so much. <laughs> no, it's like that, that, and it's addictive. You know, and yeah. It, yeah. I mean, once you start, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I love the orange flavor. <laughs> right. Me <laughs> you know, too. You know, too. And, and it's like, um, but I'd stay away from that because what happens is, is that uh, people that drink a lot of Gatorade will start to gain weight. And you don't want to activate that, the gly- you, know, you don't want to activate the glycolysis. You know, you're, you're better off, you know, trying to reduce sugar intake and try to activate uh, fatty acids going into the TCA cycle well, for, for energy. To be perfectly honest, uh, I have cut down a lot of my sugar intake. I will admit I am a junk food junkie. I admit that freely, um, uh, especially chocolate. I, uh, if I could marry chocolate, I would. But, <laughs> but well, see I, what I, ha- see what I really did when you have all that sugar. When you have all that sugar, it increases the. It, you, you get these insulin spikes, and the insulin spikes actually create infl- inflammation. And a lot of cardiology um, research has shown that it's not so much the cholesterol for most people; it's the inflammation that's depositing the fats that are in the blood through you know, high, high sugar content that activates the insulin, that activates an inflammatory response that deposits the, the, the fat in, in the, the arteries. And then that also And, and calcium. Diabetes. It also can, right. And it all, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. There's, yeah, I mean, diabetes is. Listen, the, like, like I was just saying, I cut down a tremendous amount of sugar that I was taking. Uh, there was one, one soda that I was hooked on and that was uh Stort's birch beer, which I, I, I used to drink. They come in four packs, and I used to drink that uh, quite often because I was I loved it. I just loved the way it tastes. Um, I never drank Coca Cola, never drank Pepsi. In fact, the last time I drank Coca Cola, I think I was about seventeen. Um, and uh, anyway, the point is, I cut a lot of sugar out, and the only thing I really drink is spring water. That's it. And I get this unbelievably wonderful spring water, and I I get like twelve gallons every time I go into Jersey. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that I. I just I was so concerned about diabetes because I was having these headaches, and I think I, I found out it was because I was re- allergic to sugar, and uh, you know little by little I tried cutting it out, but there might be some other things that are I'm having a problem with. The point is um, I went for a diabetes test and made sure that I didn't have it, and fortunately, knock on wood, I don't have it. Well, that's good. You just maintain that. I mean, the problem is is that. Heart disease and diabetes is a huge problem in the oh, United States, and it's just like, and it and it, it, it deals with it, it, a big part of it is that is the sugar content in the American diet. Oh yeah, uh, it's, just, it's it's terrible. Yeah, most it's, people it's who died from COVID, they were diabetics. Oh yeah, di- diabetes is a huge comorbidity. Definitely, and of course, Paul, are you um, are you down with taking phone calls tonight? Yeah, yeah, we can take phone calls, yeah. Okay, well, if anybody wants to call in, uh, please feel free to uh, do so now. You have our... telephone. Yes, you yeah. have our a blessing to call in. <laughs> that number is 760-332-8965. Uh, one more time, 760-332-8965. Go ahead and call in, and uh, we'll talk to you. If so you want to like call a lot in. Of, you know, a lot of these... Um, you know, a lot of my professors, you know, they're, 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 they're saying that for internal medicine and family, family medicine, the bread and butter of their practice is dealing with 
dealing with um, cardiac issues and diabetes. The far majority of the patients in the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could imagine. You know, the interesting thing, and I don't want to get off the subject. I'm going to keep this real short because I know you want to take calls, Michael, but I got to tell you this. I saw something on television, uh, on Netflix, as a matter of fact, a documentary about cancer and about the American Cancer Society and how the American Cancer Society was supporting uh, places um, that uh, – I should say businesses that were um, like Coca-Cola and, and that sort of thing. Um, I found that incredibly odd. Uh, there, there were a lot of things I found out all of which I can't go into detail right now, but I found out a lot of things that the American Cancer Society was doing that made no sense whatsoever. They were they were backing corporations that uh, were basically distributing mass quantities of sugar in food. Just putting that out there. It was mm -hmm. on Netflix. It was a fascinating mm -hmm. documentary. Uh, had to do with diabetes, and boy, oh boy, I was absolutely blown away. By the way, uh, Cadman Mondu is saying that's a very blanket statement regarding most people. Most of the people that have died from COVID were diabetic. Well, if you have any information that I'm not aware of, definitely please call in and correct me on that. More than free to do so. That number is 760-332-8965. Don't be afraid to call in and uh, state your opinions here. Don't so just think, don't just know, text us here in the chat. Go ahead and call in. Go ahead, Paul. In, in, in terms of the comorbidity, um, you know, for COVID nineteen, the ones that uh, were big in the United States, and I think that's what you were mentioning was in the United States relative to the world. But you know, in the United States, it was uh, it's diabetes, it's um, um, heart disease are the two big ones, and then then you know other pulmonary problems like COPD, emphysema. All you got to do, all you got to do, Doc, is take a walk outside somewhere and look at the size of the people. I mean, it, 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 it's it's almost <laughs> disgusting. Well, I, well, you know, that's the thing is, is that what also couples with the diabetes in some in, in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in some cases, in a lot of cases, I'll say, is is obesity. So uh, that's the that's the problem. You know, you, you know, you can couple with the diabetes and obesity into one category. Right, and uh, we do have a caller now. Uh, caller, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Mike. How are you doing? And Mike and Paul, thank you so much for the wonderful show tonight. Very nice. Dana, I've been on here eleven eleven. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Very nice. Did you have a question a lot for? Of crazy. Yeah, go ahead, Doctor Paul. You guys are going into the diabetes and uh, Gatorade. That really intrigued me because you know I I think you're right about that. No, I I experienced a little bit of that this weekend, this week, and it was ironic because we had this huge fire. My God, in Reno, and I was jumped the freeway, and I got a bazillion phone calls from hella people that. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? It was called the Poville Fire. And I was like, what is that? I've never heard of that. It's Poville. on Peavine. It's actually Peavine. But um, they they stopped it because it was inching toward the Desert Research Institute. Anyway, my question with Paul is, is, is this, well, it's not really a question. It's more inquisitive, um, is about, sorry, we're. We're trying to fix the, there's drilling going on. That's Let me okay. walk over here. <laughs> We're trying to fix the chicken coop. So, you know, the whole thing with diabetes, and <clears throat> I've known a lot of people with uh, high fructose corn syrup, and <clears throat> I worked, uh, I started out in the grocery business a, a long time ago, actually, in 98 was my um, first job with uh, Wild Oats Organic Health Food Store in Berkeley. 
And actually, I found out the owners became the owners of Sprouts, which I got a job with years later, which I thought was really weird. But I've, I've seen this, 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 this health transition. And now with this COVID, it's like, oh, my God, unbelievable. But there's so much of what we eat and how we produce our food and what we can do to save humanity with how we produce our own food with a conscious perspective on how we can with intention, not with monetary intention because because monetarism is an ideology, but what how we can create food to really help each other. And that's what I have to say for the 4th of July is how can we create food in a way because I've been having, I have an upper GI problems and I've tried to change my diet. I think Gatorade, you just nailed it on the head there, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, yeah. You know what's interesting is you, you were talking about wild oats. Uh, one of the last case studies in my MBA at Wayne State when I was working on my MBA in finance was dealing with, um, uh, we were doing a case study of what I would do or our group would do with a merger and acquisition between wild oats and uh, Trader Joe's to compete with Whole <gasps> Foods. So I'm just like, good lord. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so we did like a whole financial analysis, you know, and how to do that that merger and acquisition. But, uh, but I just, yes. it's, it's fascinating because you're the first one I've ever talked to that said anything about wild oats. But um, oh my god, uh, I worked at the yeah, first it's, store. It's, it's I was cool. we had a oh my god, nobody knows, but they hire me on the spot on my resume, and I've been through a culinary school uh, in West Oakland. Um, one of our our culinary. Um, gentleman uh chef who taught us he left google to teach the poor people of west oakland i am not kidding paul mm-hmm. to sustainable food mm-hmm. sustainable wow. food and and nutrition and it's i mean but they've made a market of it and it just disgusts me and it was like i was on the fringe like i could buy american spirits they were cheaper than any other cigarettes and now all of a sudden they're like 15 dollars a pack I'm like, wow. what's going on here? <laughs> so wait, wait, you're you know? into food, but you smoke too? <laughs> oh, I, I know. Shoot me, I do. I smoke. <laughs> so I don't smoke drink healthy. your Gatorade, but just have a pack a day. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just but you know, it's, it's funny. Okay, my mom, it's just kind of funny. My mom's a chain. My mom is a chain smoker, and you were talking about tramadol earlier on the on the show, and and I actually know somebody who was who was on that, and that's how I. I knew the proper pronunciation of it. So anyway, I won't keep you guys too long. Um, thank you so much, though. Yes, I need to quit. Yeah, but don't but, worry, uh, by the way. You might be onto something after looking at research done on cannabis and COVID by their scientists. They are determining that cannabis is a uh, very likely that amazing. could uh, potentially block COVID-19 from entering a person's body uh, because well, of the ACE2 no, receptors. It blocks well, here, the well, – go ahead, Paul. Well, I was on your channel on the on the, the first episode, and I said that terpenoid and lignoids are are mm, protease inhibitors. Lignoids, yes. They're, they're, and okay, so I, I stated what? I stated that if you take relora, calendula, orscalolin, birch bark, they all have natural compounds that fall into that category, and that's the reason why in vitro um, infected coronaviruses. Can be disrupted by uh, through through blocking the the protease, and that's what the cannabis is doing right now, according yes. to scientists yeah. in yeah. Uh, yes. Canada. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, but but the thing but the thing is is it's it's you're better off you're better off taking the nutraceutical 
instead of cannabis. Well, most likely, yes. But you I would, know, yeah, because, you know, I would take so, both. I'll do both, I Paul. There's science to the the biochemistry of some of the chemicals that are that, you know that classification of chemicals that could in this case help with uh, being protease inhibitors close those doorways right from being screwed right right. Right. And, 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 right right you know so but but you know and for me for me one of my daily protocols right now with me being in New York is that I'm taking I'm taking calendula and I'm taking Relora yeah. every day. I, I remember um, it was so it was so cool because when you were first on Michael's show, and I've been listening to Michael for about two and a half years, and then I'm Amazing. listening to another show that's totally not related, and I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> and this guy called in to another show that I listened to, the John Moore Show, which is on RBN. And he, the guy goes, you really need to listen to Paul Cottrell. And I go, oh, I just heard him. What? Is he talking about the same show? I was tripping. I was like, whoa, I think I smoked too many today. Amazing. <laughs> anyway, it was so cool. I was like, you know, you have really made an impact, Paul. I think you have. I, you and think I so? I mean, you know, I deep, deep down inside, I feel like I haven't done enough. No, you've done, you know, you've you know what? Lot, the Paul. truth will always set us free. And you follow your heart, and the truth will set us free. Very And you nice. follow your Christ, Christ consciousness. That's why 1111 is my number. That's why I'm going to say it. You know, I'm not right. scared. Very nice. You shouldn't be scared because fear will only take us down. As a nation, for the 4th of July, I have to say, we have to unite, and we have to grow food for each other, and we have to know what's right, wrong, and just. And fuck all the dumb shit in between. Amazing. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you for Praise that. The Lord. We appreciate that call. Absolutely. I thank you. you so much for calling. Bless all of you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Hideous, you rock. I don't care if you make people call you whatever they whatever. Hey, you're inquisitive. <laughs> Love you, bro. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mike, as always. Thank you. Blessings. Bye-bye. Happy fourth. Bye bye. Clockwise. Take, Take care. care. Uh, thank you for nice the call. Call. What a nice call. Yes, and if someone else was calling in, don't worry. The line is now open. That number is 760-332-8965. Go ahead and call in if you want. 332, well, 760-332-8965. Go ahead and call in. We are expecting you. But yes, Dr. great Paul, call. Dr. Paul, I, I, I got to tell you, um, you know, the things that you, you talk about, uh, the things that you, you, you discuss, you know, both on your show and when you come on our show, I mean, you definitely have an impact. I could definitely, I have talked about you quite often to people, uh, when I talk about the Michael Deacon program and I say, you know, we got this guy who comes on, uh, Dr. Paul Cottrell, and he really, you know, he, he opens my mind. Aside from giving me nightmare, nightmares at night, he really helps me understand things and I really appreciate his, his, uh, his thoughts and his, his, uh, is knowledge and, and education. So without a doubt, th- those who you're reaching out to, I, f- I definitely could back up what our last caller just said, which is you're, you've definitely helped people. So don't put yourself down. I, I appreciate that. You know, like right now, like this is the, the, this week that's, that's approaching is a very difficult week for me. Like, so my, my brother passed away on, on the 13th of July. Right. 
you know, from from a heart, from heart disease at age 36. Oh, God. and that was the that was the, the the catalyst. He he died when I was working on my PhD. Wow. And um, so I promised myself that after I finished the PhD that I was going to be an MD. And you know, and I'm moving in that direction and being an MD. And you know, so my education, you know, in in biology and my you know pre med work and being around MDs through this crisis has educated me a lot. Um, sure. But, you know, I just also have this just desire to try to help people because of you know what happened to my brother. But uh, right. you know, right now I'm a little down. You know, because, uh, you know, it's, it's approaching the 10th anniversary. Right, The 10th right. year anniversary of my brother's death. And, um, and I just, it's, um, it, it was a profound moment in my life that I just wish I had the answer to prevent. And I, I just, I, I failed. I, 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 I wasn't able to stop it. Well, that's sometimes that, that happens in life. But now I'm sure he's watching over you now, Paul. I'm very proud of your efforts in this um, aggressive manner you've taken and trying to awaken others out there. I think lots of people, uh, see that in you, Paul. And by the way, we do have another caller. Uh, let's take the call. What's, what's going on, caller? How are you? Hey, Michael. Hey, um, Mike and, um, and Paul, it is Katmandu. Katmandu. How Kat you doing? Katmandu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to say, Paul, you are one of my favorite guests that Michael has on. We always tune in and listen to you. Well, thank you. See, I but told you. I do feel, Michael, that but that here we go. Go ahead. Blanket statement. Okay, go I, ahead. I, I agree that a large number of the COVID victims have been diabetic, but I don't think there's any percentages out there that say most of them. Most of them. Mm -mm. A lot, yes, but not most. Not most. Not most. There, there, there's a line between like a large amount and most. Well, from what I understand, Kat, it was that um, it, uh, people who had, as we've discussed this before, uh, people with mm -hmm. immune pro immune system problems, um, people who are diabetic, people who are ob obese, and, and particularly the elderly. A yes, am I right? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. So there you go. Well, I mean, you can believe that, but uh, studies show that lots of them were diabetic. Okay, I'll take lots of them. I just don't take most of them. <laughs> well, you could you could take it anywhere you want. I mean, these people still had diabetes, so I mean, you could you could take it anywhere you want to. They're still they're well, still dead. I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I'm not I'm not arguing with that point at all, at all. But there's there there's like like most is like you know like ninety percent of them. That's that's most of them. And you don't think elderly people are? And you think elderly people are healthy? By the way, is that what you're telling me? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I I missed some of that. You cut out a little bit. Yes, what I was just saying is, you think these people that passed away, these elderly people, you don't think they were? You don't think they weren't obese? You think they were healthy? I'm not saying that at all. Like most elderly people have 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 health problems. Most old people have diabetes. Not yeah, all of them, but a lot of them. I the ones that died did. People that are perfectly healthy. I don't think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> really? I do. Okay, and that's I'm okay. Nurse. I work in this population. You could be a nurse, but nurse according to all the cases years. that are going on, we're seeing that lots of these people that have died all had diabetes, though. A large I'm percentage. Most. So we're we're arguing over most well, you, and large percentage. Yeah, I am because that, that's that it, I, that's what I'm trying to figure out here with this call here. 
how to figure out large amount and, and most. I think we'll have to agree to disagree on that. I guess so. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, Kat. You're saying you're saying a, lo- a most, but not a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I'm saying I'm saying a lot, but not not most. Well, thank not, you for the call. Most. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that wasn't going anywhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, a lot and most. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just fucking dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just so stupid. And now I'm hearing fireworks going off. Now it's like a Baghdad out here, Mike and uh, Paul. Good Lord. You know, I haven't haven't even heard any. In terms of of the deaths, um, you know, a lot of diabetes is is a big, big comorbidity issue in the United States. No shit. You know, that very big issue. And there are many geriatrics that have that that fall in uh the di- the diabetic category so you know you, i think i think people i think the main point i'm making is is that there's an overlap of comorbidities so if you do a venn diagram and you, you do a bunch of circles that and the point where they all overlap you know they're geriatric they have heart disease and diabetic they're you know those are like perfect storm situations but many, you know, it's a, it's a complex, it's a, it's a, it's a complex disease that affects many different individuals across the spectrum. Also, in terms of age, um, it's not just the geriatric. I mean, there's, you know, the ones that are getting infected also are, are younger. What's interesting is is that the really young don't get infected as as much. I have a theory on that, and it's that they're their uh, thymus is larger and they you know children have a tendency to be able to produce antibodies um because they're in a new environment while adults are more focused on their memory of previous infection would you say most children or a lot of children (laughs) (laughs) or would you just say just a few children most children at the age of five and smaller you know okay not a lot though a lot lot. many okay Just to be clear. <laughs> Thanks, you know, but, Kat. Thanks, Kat. <laughs> you know, I, no, but but the thing, you know, but the but wow, that was loud. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of in, a lot of individuals though are are affected, and it, you know, to just say that only one category, you know, when you when you're dealing with multiple comorbidities. It adds to the complexity of managing the disease. Yeah. And then, and you know, if you're, let, let's say, for example, if you have, if you have heart disease and you have diabetes, um, you can't go on hydroxychloroquine. Can't or can? Can't. Okay. Can't. I mean, it's, it's caused way too much complication. I mean, now they, they even stated that you, they won't even put people on hydroxychloroquine. It's off, it's off the recommendation list from the CDC. But, um, but, you know, if it was, you know, if it was just, if it was just, um, let's say, heart disease, then some medications, you know, they may be able to give versus, you know, someone that's on diabetes. So it's just that managing the disease gets much more complicated is my main point when there's lots of different other diseases that are associated. Yeah, a plethora of diseases, no doubt. And of course, I always say... Don't get tased by the police if you have diabetes. Most likely you will have a heart attack 
or other issues along that line. Uh, heart disease, if you have uh, diabetes, if you have any of these issues, don't get tased. Is that most cases? I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a lot of cases. <laughs> According to um, police officers, of course, that I talk to, that's actually the the bigger health concern. By the way, Doc, the bigger they are, the more uh, health factors come into play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. High blood pressure. I mean, right. the list yeah, goes on. Right. Yeah, definitely. Don't get tased, right. Paul. If you are, if you're out there, don't resist the rest, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Never know. Uh, I'll tell you. I mean, I just like, I'm no kidding. You know, the last time I was on your, on your show, um, I was, I was, mon- I, I was able to monetize my channel. Okay. Then, um, I was doing a live premiere and I was promoting the Mikevitz interview the interview right yeah i remember one of the big yeah which was a big big interview for for me yeah it's a three-hour interview with her non-stop uninterrupted and she just lays out her case and i'm not like you know i just wanted her to just say what she wanted to say and then and just let people make their own decision okay that was my whole point and i get demonetized and uh you know there was just this wave of just you could see the factions between the pro-vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers and just like this huge just vitriol in, in, in this community now. Um, and just, you know, there's there's groups that are trying to debunk Mikevitz. Um, there are groups that are trying to promote her work. What I got out of her presentation with me was is that vaccines, not all, but a lot, have problems in its manufacturing and that is most likely one of the critical points that are causing some of the spectrum disorders that we're seeing with children that's my main takeaway from her now if you want to look in the minutia of what kind of research she did with what when and all that that didn't matter to me what what mattered to me was is that here's someone that has intimate knowledge about the system and how Fauci works and how the CDC works and how the NIH works and, and how researchers at the time she was doing the research was making cell lines. And she showed a way on how vaccines may not be as safe as we suspect because of the way they're manufactured. They're not pure. And because they're not pure, they, it, it's, there's variability in how it affects individuals. And, you know, and that brings on this whole COVID, how does this relate to COVID-19? Pushing a forced vaccine program that's not adequately tested is a danger. And that was the reason why I interviewed her, was to shine a light on what did we do wrong on previous vaccines? And are we doing the same thing with the Moderna program? And I'm coming to the conclusion that we're making the same mistakes. We don't have adequate testing. And so it's not just the disease and the mutation and the second wave, but what is government officials trying to promote or institute in terms of a forced vaccine program? Right. Which is that element of that BioPatriot Act that I'm t- talking about. And by the way, do you think President Trump has handled the coronavirus pandemic, pandemic properly? Question. In certain ways, he did the right thing, but maybe at the wrong time. And other things that he did, you know, the right thing at the right time. Like, for example, I 
I was on your show and I, I stated that I thought that they should have shut down the airlines much earlier. Much than sooner. State. Yeah, much Absolutely. Earlier. And they should have not allowed those those um, cruise ships to continue coming into the United States. Right. That was a mistake. Right. That was, I mean, they, they should have shut down all travel, airline travel, international airline travel going in and out of the United States. Listen, guys, think- you, you, you both know that no matter what President Trump does, he gets he gets shit on for it by by the left. You know that. I think I'd have to you know agree with you guys on, on what you just mentioned about the ships and, and, and the timing of certain things. But at the same time, if he had not done it, he would have gotten reamed for it. That's if, true. You know, and, and when he does something, he gets reamed for it. So no matter what the guy does, it, it, there's nothing he can do to please those who don't like him. Well, so, that goes both ways. Anyone who goes up there, they're always going to be scrutinized to a certain degree, uh, no yes, matter which absolutely. side you like. I mean, it, it's I hear it every time. Uh, the thing is, I hear people bitching about any every president. So that's, You're you know, right. that's, that's the reality of it all. And the fact that so many people act so outraged. I mean, goddamn, we live in America for fuck's sake. We don't live in a third world nation. Uh, you know, I'm kind of tired of hearing everyone bitching and crying and moaning about the left, the right. You know, I don't give a fuck what your opinion is anymore. We live in America for fuck, for fuck's sakes. It's not a third world nation. Uh, so many people here are crying about this or that. It does get kind of annoying. It does. We're not in, we're not in fucking Mexico. We're not in South America. So, I mean, we have it pretty good here. So, anytime I hear well, we, people we bitching, we, I mean, it, <laughs> it's just, many, it's many individuals. I, I would say the majority of the world wants to come to America. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. the country that they're in. We got it good here. Not a lot, the most. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? So, you know, so it is, it, it, believe me, most people want the opportunities that are afforded uh, Americans. Um, Unfortunately, what is happening is is that there is a a socialistic communist move in this country, and I'm on the side where I'm trying to fight that. I don't want socialism. I don't want communism. I, I believe in less government is better government. I don't want nanny state. I don't want you know. I, I don't want uh, you know top down control. Um, and I, it's, you know, in a lot of these socialists and, and communist types, you know, they're coming out of very, very prestigious schools. I mean, there's yeah. the, the student body now is becoming, unfortunately, very, very communist. And who do you think's fault is that? And by the well, way, gentlemen, uh, hold hold that thought really quickly. We, we are joined by another caller. Caller, what's going on? Are, are you out there? Yeah, I'm here. Very nice. What's your name, caller? Dave. Dave, what's going on, Dave? How are you this evening? Happy Fourth of July. Yes, and there's noise. Yes, sir. Did you have a, a question to ask Dr. Paul Cottrell? Well, yes, you see. Yeah. All right. Let, let me step back a little bit. Go ahead, brother. Is he actually seeing the uh, NIH study that Fauci uh, like did last year? What study are you referring to? They actually. All right. What they did is they did last year in March of 2019, they did a uh, study with a basically, it's kind of it's strange that they actually did 33 different people that signed off on this thing, but they actually did a cure for the common flu. 
I have not read a study that states that it, I, it might I, exist. I, I just I, haven't I can throw, seen it. I can throw the link. I can throw the link up on on the this guy here. It's kind of funny. Anyway, so I didn't believe it when I saw it. So I had to call over to a like a company that actually makes um all, all over there in your area there. Yeah, New York. In in um. Like let's say in uh, Mike Michael's area, okay. I had to call over there and I could talk to him. And it's interesting because th- that guy actually schooled me off on all of the stuff from like college, like in- immunology. Right. Well, I mean, but the thing is, is that the the the, the flu mutates so much that a, a vaccine. No, it mutates. It, it doesn't. It doesn't mutate. You see, basically, what what happens is. Is that when they're actually testing you for your, um, oh, um, your, like, how your body is reacting to it? Your antibodies? Yeah. It's the same thing. See, the coronavirus, uh, the coronavirus, the reason why it actually, like, all coronaviruses, it's like SARS, MERS, all of it. Right. They have the, the same beta, the beta thing that actually, like, the, those are like the beta guys. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's the protein that sticks off and, like, actually sticks to the cell. Right, the S protein. Right, and so that that technically is the um, what they're testing you for. Is there? Uh, it's uh, let's see. It's um, CR. Well, the PCR, the, PCR, the, the RT-PCR is testing for different areas of the genome that includes the the spike protein, but it's not just the spike protein. The proper RT RT-PCR testing should be testing three areas of the genome to make sure that they are not getting a false positive. And that's based on CDC protocol. I have a video I, about I believe, how to do that. I, I believe actually you're correct on the uh, thymusite theory. Say that again. Because your thymus actually has to go go ahead and like actually learn this stuff, and they go ahead and like train your uh, you know your system to go ahead and like react to it. Right, right. I mean, well, what what it is is that your your antibodies are training its uh, itself to to find the the matching piece that will connect to the spike protein and that's just how our immune system works so what happens is is that yeah. we'll have an uh, uh, we'll have a ant what's called an antigen so it's the antigen is bits and pieces of the spike protein presented in an antigen presenting cell the t cell will attach to that and then there will be a cytokine response that will recruit um, B cells, yeah. and the B cells will start to produce the antibody. Yeah. Will start to, and this is part of the reason why people get fevers. Is, is that during this period of time, is is that it's 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 doing a trial and error to to, to find uh, uh, the proper antibody, and then once it finds it, it goes in mass production and and starts to um, mm-hmm. you know explode the amount of antibody in the in the in the bloodstream, and then eventually it will start to kill off the virus over time. Um, but that's just basic immunological, you know, you know, mechanisms. Well, I had a question about this. And so I had to actually call over to a, a company and, um, and they're over there in Southern California. And since they're, they're, they're shut down, the owner of the company, uh, I, I got to have a, like a, a huge long conversation with him. And so he spelled me off on how, how all of it is. And he's amazed. Basically, what those guys can do is they can make up all of the antibodies you want. 
But you well, this see, sounds like by, this, are, this sounds like by, you're talking about um um oh they're in California, right? Bio something bio. Uh, no, Pacific escapes bio, me. Pacific Pacific Immunology. Oh no, it's a different company. I'm thinking of a different company. No, they're well, they're yeah. Only, I mean, there's the, you know, the thing research. is, is that there, there's a lot no, of different ways to me, do. He, go ahead. All right. No, go ahead. It's okay. No, there's, there's a lot well, of no, different you, ways. They, they, only to, do, they only do the research. Sorry. Well, there, there, there's a lot of different ways to, for for vaccines to be created. All right. Um, it's not a vaccine. There's a tin. What is it? Well, no. Ba- basically, what you do is you emulate, and that's what they're able to do now. Is you're able to emulate what your body does to go ahead and make, like, let's say, some type of um, antibody. They yeah. can do that directly. It's not a vaccine. So basically what you can do now is instead of actually having the vaccine is you can just go ahead and have an antibody that allows your body to go ahead and like, let's say, catch up and mm-hmm. then be, become immune. Are they taking your own your own immune cells to make the antibodies outside the body? That, that's what they're doing. They do this. They do this for cancer. This is a, like this is kind of an advanced therapy for for uh, melanoma. Versus metastasized melanoma, where they can take they can take T cells, and B cells, take them out of the, uh, the blood, and then they can um, take different um, they take a biopsy of the melanoma and train those those T cells and B cells to actually produce antibodies, and then they they grow it for about six to eight days, and then and then they put it back into the into the bloodstream, and sometimes yeah, no, the metastasized you, you cancer goes down. It was basically how far out you want to grow out the cells. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, you introduce a, um, they have a, what they do is with those type of cells, they're able to go ahead and introduce a chemical into them and then have them go ahead and produce antibodies. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. see the antibodies, yeah. the antibodies are not actually like, let's say something you cannot inject. You can't like actually take them as a pill. Because you can take them the, as a pill, or you have to use an injection. You you have to use those as an injection. Right, right, right. See, my under, if I understand yeah, you too, correctly, if I understand you correctly, this is this is out of body antibody production that, that that's Sorry. That, that's reintroduced into the bloodstream. But this is not this is not new. This has been going around going on for a while. But it's very expensive. That's the problem. It's, this is what I, I well, talked about this actually on, on, on the I think it was on this show maybe maybe about a month ago maybe, maybe two months ago and that is the idea that vaccines and I definitely mentioned this on on Mike Adams show um, the vaccines the future of vaccines will not be a generic vaccine for everybody they will be customized where they take your blood they take your immune cells they take the disease that they're you're trying to, to fight against. And you will create antibodies in a petri dish, and then they'll put those antibodies into your bloodstream. Very similar to what well, all how right, they treat all right, all right. So now, size melanoma. Now, now just get, just get me get me wrong on this. Now, all coronaviruses use a um, oh oh the HA protein to go ahead and like actually go into a cell. All coronaviruses. All of them. That's the why cor- they're that, no, that. I don't know about all coronaviruses. I've only looked at the beta coronaviruses, like which I, is I the MERS like and the SARS and the and the the co- you know the SARS. Yeah, SARS and MERS and all well, of them. Well, that could the be. That, that, that could be. But, Are but you I, saying I, I, some or few, color? <laughs> all of them. All of them. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So I, I'm. I have not investigated 
Alpha or, you know, or the other. No, there's H- about five well, different families. There's about five H-A. different families of, of, of well, that's why they call them coronavirus. I'm only looking at the beta. Beer. I'm only looking at the beta ones. Thanks for the call, by the way, caller. We have to uh, move along here. I appreciate your call. Take care. Um, I'm looking at the time here, and and we definitely have to uh, keep it moving here. We're almost close to the end here, Paul. And I do appreciate your time, no doubt. And of course, life as we used to know it is not returning, Paul. I'm afraid. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, I'm calling it right now. We're in a second wave and it is for the country. We're in a second wave. In some states, it may seem like a first wave, but these these new new infections are are the majority of them are going to have this G mutation. And that G mutation for the spike protein means that it's not going to shed out of the body as quickly as the D version. And that is concerning me because the longer it is in the body, the more chance we're going to have some sort of additional gain of function with another receptor, which is something that I am very, very scared of. Right. And where do you see this ending, Paul? What is the end game in your opinion? Well, the new world order. <laughs> the new woke order. <laughs> the new woke order. You know, I, I, this is definitely going into next year. I'm afraid so. This is going into next year. So we're, you know, the, the, it's not going to be COVID-19. It's going to be COVID-20. And we're going to have to start, you know, we're going to have to start preparing what that means economically. And, and I, you know, I, I don't, I, we haven't been down this road, you know, and, um, I, I, it's scary. It very it is scary, you know. And I and it goes back to we need to start having our our con on, our con, Congress do their job and start prosecuting these people that that made this thing. We know who the players are. We know who that because their 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 names are on a paper. We know which universities were were tied to it, and we know the funding mechanism that was happening. And that Congress needs to start sounding the alarm. They need to do and, something. Yeah, you know. But instead, you know, they they you know. It's amazing. Just think about it. In such a coveted position that Fauci's in, and he has been in that coveted position for decades. All right, since he, he you know, he, he was part of the whole AIDS research that was in the eighties. All right, now how can someone survive such a competitive environment for so long without having some dirt to make sure that his position is secured? Right. So. That falls in line with a larger, sinister plan. Now, what that is, that's a whole different show. That's <laughs> but, a different ballgame, you know, right? But, you know, yeah, but, but the thing is, is that he's, he is a player in it. And, you think so, huh? Uh, yep, yep. I think that there, I, and I think it goes all the way to Skull and Bones, and, and who protected his job was George Bush Sr. Pretty okay. much we're going to be hearing um, uh, this sound, Paul. <laughs> We're going to be hearing that soon. Out there in New York. Yeah. In yeah. Seattle. Yeah. I just like, you know, it's, 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 you know, I, I find it very odd for someone like Fauci not to bring up that supplementation can help people because it is known in preventative medicine that supplementation does help people get healthy and have less inflammation and have a better immune system. You know, it's just almost like he continually touts the messenger RNA platform. He continually touts never ending vaccines. 
But what about prevention? And I'm not talking about just wear a mask. I'm talking about other pre- preventative measures that right. anybody could do. That is very easy and not that expensive to do. You know, that, you know, even grandma knew about. <laughs> so I just, you know, I just, it, it, that's, and sometimes you, you, you can see Rand Paul when he's drilling, drilling him, uh, you know, in Congress, you know, Fauci, you know, when he's doing the hearings, you know, you can kind of see that Rand Paul is getting, trying to get to, to, to the point where it's like, you know, are you just tr- trying to create fear in the American public? So, you know, people just stay indoors and they don't take, you know, they, they don't have that American spirit anymore. You know, that people need hope, you know, and that, that you know, that there, there's, there's more to life than just the science of this. And, uh, I, you know, I, Rand Paul, I, I, I like, I like what I, what I see from Rand Paul, you know, unfortunately, because of, because of him being, um, an independent, I don't think he could win for, for the presidency. He's an independent. Yeah. He's, I thought, I thought he, he ran a, as an independent. Uh, oh, I, I thought he ran as a, a Democrat. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Republican. No, no. I thought he was independent, but maybe, maybe, maybe. You may be right. I, I don't I know. know. I, I, I thought he was I, independent. I don't, much, I don't know that much about him. Maybe I, I'm mixing him and his, his his father. Maybe. Grandpa. Maybe. I, I, maybe. Okay, let, let's just assume he's Republican, all right? Because okay. the stance that he is is that he's, he is on the libertarian side. You know, very strong libertarian side. Yeah, that, Rand Paul is a Republican. He's not going to be way. able to win the, the, you know, win a the, the general the, the the primary to get into the general election. That's my main point. It's just that he's too he's too libertarian for the Republican Party. Right. But he's 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 saying the right things and where, where the country needs to go. Very interesting. Uh, Paul, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program yet again. Always fun to have you on here, Paul. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, you know Paul. we'll have better better news next. Eventually, time. we will. Doc, I want to say thank you once again for setting me up for a nice night of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know I'm teasing, I'm teasing. No, I'm teasing, of course. But uh, always informative. Always nice to have you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing with us what you know. To the listeners, to Michael, to myself, we always appreciate it. Michael and I love when, when you're on. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I, I like talking to you guys, and it's uh, it's a good change of pace. You got right. it, brother. We will do this again on the other side. Hopefully that doesn't mean death, but yes. Right. <laughs> well, we'll, do it. we'll do it on the other side. On the other side, too. <laughs> Both sides. <laughs> the Michael Deacon show. You yeah. got it, brother. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul. We will talk to you again and uh, we wish you a happy 4th of July and happy Merry 4th Christmas. of July and yes everything and Hanukkah and a happy Hanukkah and a Yom Kippur oy vey <laughs> okay buddy take care good night alright good night take bye care bye. doc later bye bye and there he goes Dr. Paul Cottrell always fun and interesting to talk to the doctor no doubt yeah, very nice. Frightening, but 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 always fun. Yes, uh, of course. As we take it home here tonight, and before we pull it, Larry Silverstein style, go ahead and plug away, Mike. Michael, I have just one thing I want to say tonight to our listeners, which I feel is kind of important, uh, and I'll make it quick. Uh, for those of you who don't already know, um, Doctor Michael Aquino, the founder of the Temple of Set. Uh, and the right-hand man of Dr. Anton LaVey uh, with the Satanic Bible uh, passed away. Uh, we found out officially he has passed away on September 1st, 2019 of cancer. Uh, 
uh, he leaves behind uh, his wonderful, beautiful wife, Lilith. And I personally, uh, I, I, I want to say that um, it was a great loss when I found out about it. And I've also been told that um, it was the Michael Deacon program in which Dr. Aquino did his last interview. So I'm told. I could be wrong, but people are telling me that we were the last ones to interview Dr. Uh, Aquino. So I just wanted to make this announcement, letting letting people know. Dr. Aquino was a very big influence to me and my um, in my knowledge of uh, my practice of black uh, black magic and sa- uh, Satanism. Um, so uh, that being said, uh, Michael, I don't know if you had anything to add to that, but I found it kind of amazing that we were uh, very possibly the last people to uh, to interview him. Oh, yeah. Most likely. Very troubling as well. And my goodness, I'm, I'm still hearing all sorts of um, explosions going off in the background here for me. Yeah, I hear that it, too. It's distracting the hell out of me. I'm sorry. That's well, okay. Well, um, all, all I'm saying is that, uh, you know, the, one of the first few – before I was even a co-host on the show, Michael uh, Michael Deacon, that is – had contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be part of the interview uh, when he was setting up an interview with Dr. Michael Aquino. Now, this was at least two years ago, if not more. Um, If I remember correctly, the last interview we did was last August 2019. And when we had spoken with with, uh, Dr. Aquino, he had mentioned he was dealing with – I think he had said colon cancer and – he, I'll tell you, he had such a, a – like his viewpoint and his attitude was so amazing. He just kept joking about it, you know, and um, I'm going to really miss him. The guy was a borderline genius, if not a genius, uh, incredibly smart. Uh, many books that have been uh, published by him. Uh, I'm so pleased to say that I had my personal book of the Satanic Bible 50th anniversary um, uh, signed, uh, inscribed by Dr. Aquino, and and I cherish that now. Um, So all that being said, I just wanted to make it mentioned that we lost uh, someone who was not only a mentor to me but had created an entire movement – um, uh, of the satanic movement. So that being said, uh, I want to say thank you to Michael Deacon. Unless, of course, Michael, you you had to make any comments. Did you want to make any comments or anything? No, I need to wrap up the show. Okay, all right. I just want to say thank you for everybody listening tonight. And uh, if you're interested in anything I have out there, you can check out my artwork, my photography, horribleartwork.com. Uh, you can check out my website with music, uh, the releases I've done, mikehideous.com, M-Y-K-E, hideous.com. And, of course, on facebook.com slash hideousmike, M-Y-K-E. Thank you for listening, everyone. Michael, thank you so much, and thank you for letting me make that announcement. You Appreciate got it. it. Take care. And uh, now we are going to wrap up here. I want to thank all of you out there for being a part of the program, of course. And, well, if you want, you can sign up for Patreon. Exclusive content only you will be able to access. Of course, that won't be able uh, you won't be able to find that on the podcast rendition. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. I'm hearing all sorts of things going off in the background here. My goodness. Very distracting. Very distracting. So once again, I want to thank all of you out there for being a part of the program again. It's been fun as usual. 
And I definitely want all of you to be safe out there, no matter what it is you do choose to believe. There's a lot of wild shit going on, and we are only looking after you. This is for your health. I think that's a, a nice sort of gesture for your health. Don't want nothing bad to happen to you. And of course, if you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so now. And of course, take us on the road with you on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, and uh, Spotify. International listeners out there, thank you very much for your support as well. Those in Canada, Germany, the UK, Norway, and Brazil. My goodness. Thank you to those who donated as well. Love ya. And of course, once again, I have to say this. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And uh, that is where you'll find even more gold. Thank you to the mods. All, all of you lovely mods out there for doing your hard work. I know it's not easy being a mod. Yes, life is tough. Again, the question still remains. Do you believe this is real or do you believe this is a hoax? Think about it. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. 